Hello. Can you, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Do you know what today what? is? Uh, Fibonacci Day? Cyber Monday, Ben. Oh, cyber, cyber. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna totally cyber it up today. I am so, <laughs> I'm so cyber ready for Cyber Monday. Are you getting your cyber on? I got right. my cyber on all weekend in preparation for Cyber Monday. <laughs> I was, I, yeah, I've been, I, I've been way into cyber all weekend as well. I mean, I'm into cyber a lot of days. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry, that was an accidental so, ding. No, no, that was, I think that was a, a, a subconscious thing. Like you, it wasn't even accidental. It was like, uh, you weren't, you were, you didn't even think that you needed to ding that. But, uh, once you heard those words, those sweet cyber words coming out of my mouth, you're like, Oh, I'm, Ooh, ooh there it is. <laughs> um, yeah, well, good. I'm, I hope you've, uh, I hope you purchased, uh, lots of, lots of things for consumerism. Well, Oh, I did. Uh, I actually did. I did my, I did my, I actually did my, my consumer, um, cybering on Friday, which is not the oh, right black, day. Black Friday. You did it wrong. I did it wrong. I did it wrong. But over the weekend, what I did was I, I took a free thing that someone else had given me that's a cyber thing, and I got it to do cyber by talking to people on the phone that didn't know anything and then eventually um, hacking um, my, my, home, uh, my home network. So, um, oh, good. You hack, so, hack, hack. Yeah, so... so I, I totally hacked it. I hacked it all up. Um, so I, so I, I've talked briefly about this since 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 I mentioned it. So, um, I, do, have you ever heard of a thing called TiVo? Yeah, I, I'm familiar with the term. It's something that dates back to the uh, '90s, where people used to record television before they. Had- <laughs> Before, oh, before they so, had things like Hulu and Netflix, I'm, feel, yeah, I'm, feel, I'm familiar with I feel, that. I feel so old. Well, some some old people, um, some uh, less old than me people um, that are my, that might be my wife use use the TiVo to watch the sports, um, and because oh, yeah. she she watches the sports that are like the edge sports, like the the gymnastics and the skating and stuff. Like so. Uh, yeah, those kind of ads uh, on the, out on the edge. Yeah, like yeah, not that. But um, so <laughs> she likes she likes to watch the sports, and the sports are on the cable, and the cable um, comes onto the TiVo, and then it's on the TiVo. But the problem with the TiVo is it's attached to the TV, and so the only way that you can watch stuff is on the TV, unless you have a new TiVo, which we don't, or if you have an old TiVo and you have a TiVo Stream, which is a little Apple TV sized device. The TiVo Stream lets you take TiVo content from your old TiVo and stream it to, or download it to your iPad. Um, Oh, download it down, like put it on the pad. Yeah. Put on the pad. Um, so, uh, the the problem is that, um, it's, it's, all of this is administered by a company called TiVo, which, (laughs) which is, uh, you may have, you may have seen my humorous uh, tweet, um, uh, which, which made a joke about uh, TiVo being like Linux because uh, underneath the hood, TiVo is all Linux and it's, it's inscrutable. Um, but anyway, so the, the long story short is you, so, so my, my son gave me his TiVo stream, which was great. So, but the first technical challenge was that TiVo stream was linked to his TiVo. And so I had to convince the people at technical support that he had given it to me. But fortunately I was able to give him his, give them his address, which is my, which is where he used to live, which is my address. And we have the same last name. We have the same last name. And I knew, I knew his first name. Um, and so they, they, you know, they bought it, right? They, they, <laughs> they, they, I hacked them. They bought um, the hack. Yeah. yeah. So, but then the problem was 
that I just couldn't get it to work. And it turns out the solution is, so I have one of these um, promoted on a podcast that sell advertising, um, this uh, mesh network thing called Eero, which is fantastic. Um, But um, because of something I think having to do with firewalls, um, it wouldn't work. Uh, and so my and it's so complicated. So my TiVo connects to the Wi-Fi with something called uh, TiVo N uh, wireless N adapter, something something. Okay, but, okay. But the but uh, and we still have a router, a FiOS router in the house, and it didn't. I could make it connect to the Eero network, but then it couldn't. It, it didn't think that the stream was on the same network. Anyway, long story short, if I connected both of them to our Fios router, not to the Eero network, and then if the iPad also connected to the Fios network, not the Eero network, then it all worked. But it took two, two calls to tech, tech support, neither of which, which is staffed by some very delightful people that I think are in the Philippines that have very, they're very polite and they're very good at reading from a script um, and getting you to follow directions. But so two, two phone calls to tech support that didn't solve the problem. And then finally, I just started messing around myself and eventually got it fixed. And so now um, we, can, we can get our sports um, on our iPads and, and uh, other stuff too. So I could download uh, content from my TiVo to my iPad to take it with me. Oh, and by the way, I got a new iPad, Ben. Oh, yes. See, that's where I thought you were going to go. Yeah, I well, that, see, I got there that, in the end. I got there in the end. I got, yeah. a new, I got a new iPad and it's really cool. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting. Um, mine is, mine's on its way. Um, well, you know, they it, have them it, in the stores. You can actually go to the stores and get them. I don't know. I, if you know, I, know. I don't want to go to the stores. I mean, I've been, you've been I went, to the, I went to the store. Oh, so speaking of hacking, I have to tell you, I have to tell you about my Black Friday adventure. So we got back from uh, our long trip um, uh, and we got back on Friday, which was, um, wait, we did we get back on Friday? Yeah, we got back on Friday, which is Black Friday. And we got, we got, we got home from the airport and we had no food in the house. And I had, in the meantime, in the morning, I had ordered my iPad, and so I knew my iPad was waiting at the Apple Store, um, which is also the place where they have food that you can buy. Um, and I said, to, to, I said "Apples, to, wait, no, 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 like in the food court." And so oh. I said, "I said to my wife, um, I'm going to go over to the mall and get us a salad from the Euro place." Um, and she said, "Okay, that sounds good." And then I said, "But it's also Black Friday," and she said, "What are you crazy?" And I said, "Well, no, because I have to actually also get something from the Apple." store and she looked at me like I was completely nuts. Uh-huh. But but I totally yeah. I totally hacked it. Um I, I tested Apple under stress. They got my 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 uh, pickup uh in less than 15 minutes. I got in and out of the the hardest part was getting in and out of the parking lot, but I know like the secret ways. And so I avoided all the traffic and the honking cars and the massive traffic jam. And so I feel like I I won I won Black Friday because I did some some ninja um, you know, moves and I, I yeah. like defeated the boss and, you know, karate chopped him and I got back home and I got to have my, my, uh, uh, Euro salad with, made with iceberg lettuce <laughs> because, because romaine we, and see, we, I just brought it back around no to food romaine. safety. Boom. Oh my gosh. Nice. This is, and then you even got us a nice picture of, yes, uh, yes. of what it looks like, uh, when, when a hero place doesn't have romaine in the food court. Yes, exactly. Oh, oh my gosh. Good. They, I mean, so anyway, it's over, right? Yeah, that's like, it. We, we did it. We did, we did technology. I could talk about like the, the, I, the shows that I can watch on my iPad and, and then uh, food safety. Boom. That's a show. 
Yeah, I have, I'm on my second exactly. coffee. Well, can you tell? <laughs> ooh, all right. Well, let me let me come back. Let me circle back around to a few things I've taken notes on as you've spoken about this. Um, <laughs> what? Let me, uh, a, a couple of things happened for for me. One, the only uh, Cyber Cyber Monday uh, Black Friday purchase that I am uh, currently looking for that I still have not purchased it re- relates to something you talked about, which is an Eero. I want another Eero beacon, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and they're not on sale, so I'm waiting. I'm holding out. It's uh, I've I've had to reconfigure our Eero. Um, mesh mesh world, as I like to call it in my house, uh, because for um, uh, one of my my kid's birthday, he purchased got a bunch of money and purchased a PlayStation Four, uh-huh. which was not in a very um, ideal place for um, getting good Euro coverage, which was making it problematic for him when he was playing Fortnite on the interwebs. Mm. So I moved uh, one of the beacons close by and wired it in. And not, now we have um, some coverage issues too. And th- this is, I'll tell you, first world complaints right here. <laughs> the TV that we have outside is not streaming very well. So I need <laughs> another TV. My outside TV. Um, uh, so, so that's, uh, that's the only thing I'm looking for on, uh, on the cyber and I yeah. haven't found it. I'm, well, we, I, I keep, I, yeah, we, we got one, uh, which I put in our garage, which is kind of on the way to our backyard. And so now we yeah. have, uh, we have, uh, uh, TiVo in the backyard, uh, we have, we have, uh, sorry, we have, uh, internet in the backyard, which is, which is yeah, TiVo now. Yeah, well, 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 no, see, that's the problem is that the mesh network goes to the back, but the Fios network, which uh, is the sync, uh, but here's the thing, but here's the thing, all you got to do, I explained this to my wife, all you got to do is connect to the Fios network. And I made up a special uh, login on that called um, a TiVo download so that you just click on the thing that says TiVo download, TiVo, you, connect, easy, to, you yeah. connect to that uh, Wi-Fi password uh, network with the password and then you download to your iPad and then you can go anywhere um, even out of the house and you can watch your TiVo content. So, Well, no offset because I'm sure people are just uh, driving a- around um, New Jersey. I won't even go uh, even even closer <laughs> than that. Uh, just with that, you know, Wi-Fi sniffer uh, looking for TV download, <laughs> thinking where where does uh, where does our favorite uh, podcast uh, co-host uh, live? And uh, and all they needed to do was was remember like three words. It's like toboggan dog coffee, <laughs> and, yes. and they could find you. <laughs> what was the other one? Toboggan dog. So coffee. Toboggan, toboggan dog, dog coffee. coffee. Yeah, 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 I think the <laughs> <laughs> I real, now I really wonder where that is. <laughs> uh, so anyway, my, that that was my uh, that was my Euro Cyber Cyber Monday. I did I did go uh, shopping on Black Friday for a couple hours. I I did so with my father who is visiting from Canada. Oh, um, nice. And yeah, every year my parents. Uh, well, not not every year, but uh, seven out of the last eight years, my parents have come uh, to the U.S., uh, made their own pilgrimage like the pilgrims did, and uh, pilgrim all the way to uh, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, where we celebrate Thanksgiving, have a few days off. Um, my, my mom, uh, hopefully my, well, my kids won't be American, this. American uh, Thanksgiving. American Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully my, my kids don't listen to this because what, what happens every year is my mom um, and Danny uh, go uh, Black Friday shopping for all Christmas presents for the children. Um, and then we hide them somewhere in the house. So don't uh, Jack and Sam, don't go looking for them because I have hidden, hidden them expertly. Um, 
And uh, and then my dad, uh, my dad's always got weird things on a list. He has to, he's, <laughs> he's saving up and is like, well, I will be buying this when I come. So so sometime, one, one time it wasn't so weird. It's, he wanted to buy a TV. Other times um, we've gone Black Friday shopping for things such as chewing tobacco. Um, and my dad does not chew chewing tobacco. It is it was well, for a friend. Well, come on. I mean, uh, you know, that's irrelevant. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this year's uh, uh, um, not so Black Friday item that was on the list were were pants for him, and uh, I, I think when the, you know as you get as you get older, um, and it, well, maybe not even maybe it's not even an age thing. You get to a point in your life where where you just wear the same pair of pants every day. And my mom was harassing my dad for for him wearing the same pair of pants every day. So he decided on the way down that this would be his Black Friday shop is we're going to go get pants. And I think he bought four or five pairs of pants and we'll throw out all of his other pants. Um, but this led to a hilarious um, uh, a, a, a hilarious event in Kohl's where, uh, Kohl's is, uh, not for, uh, info psych, opsec, uh, issues, but, uh, it's a department store <laughs> that has, that exists all throughout the U S. Uh, so you can't even find which Kohl's I was at. Uh, but there's uh, one, but there's we, one near us. There's see, it's, uh, it's, it's where it used to be Caldors. <laughs> and it's which, probably like, which when I was a kid, when I was a book. kid, Coffee pod. When I, is that- when I was a kid, I, I literally thought uh, the name of that store was Cow Doors, like as in doors with cows. Oh, yeah. Like a, yeah, like a bar, not, not like a barn. But yeah, like well, a- yeah, like what you have on a barn, uh, Cow Doors. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, hey, um, by the way, speaking of um, uh, animals, um, there, are, uh, there are two places. Um, one is in Brazil, one is in China. Um, the first one that's in Brazil is toboggan dogs, plural coffee. And then toboggans, plural dogs, plural coffee is in China. Um, and then uh, toboggan doggedly coffee. Uh, that's so in the, you live that's near in, one of those two places. Yeah, yeah that, no, neither. No. Uh, yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> yes. No, actually, I live, I live uh, near toboggan doggedly coffee, which is in uh, the Yucatan. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Nice. Uh, I could have used what is what was that? What is that service that that you're using? What's that called again? It's like three. Uh, well, I, I had to, uh, three words or something. Yeah, I, I had to Google. I had to Google a three word address, but it's uh, it's called what three words? What the number what three, three words dot com? So I could have used what three words um, at Kohl's because my dad during his pants <laughs> uh, event got lost. <laughs> Dad, dad, what three words? Uh, what three words? Yeah. Uh, so it added an extra 40 minutes to our um, – Kohl's is not a large store. And, uh, <laughs> well, it's to, large enough. It's large enough. Uh, to, we, the three of us, my two boys and, and I, uh, made several circles of the store as we looked for him. Um, oh, my God. So, so what, where, yeah. you, you, did, you eventually did find him? Yeah, he's in the pants section. Uh, but did you, did you know? Did you know he was? <laughs> did you know he was looking for pants? I, I did, and and the that would have been the first place to look, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. What three words? Pants, pants, pants. <laughs> Those three words. <laughs> uh, so he uh, he was in the pants section, but had been in and out of the uh, uh, change rooms. So, so that was our, our problem. I didn't expect that he would be trying on his pants and we just kept looking around for him and it turns out he was in a change room and then would come out and we would be on the other oh, side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And, 
we would walk around and he'd go back in the change room. So, um, yeah, it was, if it, it was like an episode of Mr. Bean, I'm sure. Yes. Mr. Bean's father shops for pants. Uh, so yeah, so that was, that was my, uh, my black Friday experience. Oh, oh, also I got a new coffee maker or a new Nespresso machine also related to my parents. Um, uh, because my parents, my parents get up, uh, at I think three 30 in the morning. Um, <laughs> And when they get up at 3.30 in the morning, they like to have coffee. Uh, and so on day one of their trip, they they did that. And my dad, um, I, I think inadvertently, uh, broke my coffee maker uh, by putting a, um, a, uh, a pod, coffee pod in incorrectly and then closing the, the thing. And it knocked the nozzle off. And I took it apart and watched a YouTube video. And, uh, it was not salvageable. So I, uh, I also went out and got a new, uh, new, new Nespresso machine. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. Which, which is really good. Uh, uh and, so. and in, <laughs> I could do this all day in related follow-up. Um, there is no location called pants, pants, pants. However, um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a place in Parkville, Missouri called pans, pans, pants, but best of all, um, there is a place called ants. <laughs> Ants, 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 pans, pans, which is in Kingston, Jamaica, and then pans, ants, pans, which is Flint, Michigan. My gosh, this is amazing. We will, I think we'll just do an entire whole show about this. Yeah. Yeah. What three words can we, can we put into what three words and and actually (laughs) guess where we're going Um, or find out where they are? Uh, Oh, uh, anyway, that was, yeah. So that was, that was Black Friday. Also, um, in on food safety related things, I'm going to tap something on the microphone here. Mm-hmm. I want you to oh, guess, uh, what it is? guess what it is. Uh-huh. Okay. And did you hear that? Mm, one more time. Mm, is it a football? It is not. It is, it's a good guess. Um, is a uh, a place where I used to have part of a tooth. Oh, that is now missing. nice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so also related to my, my Thanksgiving, um, uh, break, I, uh, I, I broke a tooth, uh, while I was coaching hockey. I'm doing well, what, well, what, no, 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 wait a minute. Right, right. It was, it was while you were, yeah. it, it, it's not really, it wasn't, it wasn't like you got hit with a puck, right? No, that would or have been a, way cooler. Or, or a kid or a like stick. flew up and hit you. Yeah. Oh. It, with a stick in the face. Right. No, no, it was not. It was none of those things. And and that's what, as I've described this to people, they've said, oh, you should come up with a better story um, for it. Well, and I'm for, I'm full, yeah, full disclosure. uh, This is, this is how it happened. I was uh, demonstrating and partaking in a uh, drill and, uh, or an activity uh, as they're called on, on the ice. And um, as part of that activity or drill, when one of the teams lost that uh, small little battle, um, they were required to do five push-ups on the ice. So I was uh, jumping in with a, a, a small group. We lost our battle. I went to do five push-ups on the ice. It was on what is known in the hockey world as fresh ice or clean ice. So there hadn't been a lot of skates that went across it. And uh, as I was doing my push-up, uh, my first push up with my gloves on the ice, my gloves fell, uh, uh, sideways and my chin hit the ice. And then my bottom tooth, uh, knocked a piece of my top oh, tooth off. And, God, that, and here's, oh. yeah, it so sounds, it didn't it hurt sounds, at all. Oh, it sounds horrible though. 
yeah, yeah, it was not cool. And and then uh, and once I had realized what had happened, I was like, mm, mm, there's something there's something different about my teeth. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a portion missing. Uh, so I, um, uh, the lovely Danielle, my wife, uh, happened to be there watching this um, excitement, and I skated over to the boards and smiled at her, and she let out like a no. <laughs> Um, wow. And then my my two two both my kids were on the ice, but in different groups that were not part of this. So as they cycled into my group, I then showed them. Uh, I did not find the uh, missing piece of tooth. I think I may have swallowed it, um, and or I could not find it on the ice, or it may have shattered. Who knows? But uh, today at two fifty, I will be going to the dentist to mm. have my tooth replaced. Um, yeah, and it. It is. It's one of those things where. So we're going to talk about Romaine a bunch uh, in a minute. Uh, I did two TV interviews last week with local news affiliates, um, and in both of them, I had to explain, "Oh, hey, I, I'm missing a tooth here, or I cracked a tooth." And and to their like to their credit, to you know, and this this is like a maybe a psychology thing. I obviously know that I'm missing a tooth because I know what it looks like. They didn't know that I was – they just like may have thought that I was always missing a tooth, right? Like it's not a – they didn't know that I just knocked it out. So one of the interviewers who is who's lovely said, I didn't even notice. And now that I – now that you told me, I'll be thinking about it when I edit this video. Um, and then the other one was the other one was like, oh, yeah, no problem. We shot it from a good side so you can't even see it. <laughs> So, so anyway, I, my, uh, my broken tooth was on, uh, was on TV for uh, a couple of days. <clears throat> well, so we will, um, and I, I just, I just, I, I just can't get over how, how, um, how funny this is. Um, so I, I keep, uh, bringing up on all social media, um, that you, <clears throat> Are just trying to look like John Roderick, and so we yeah. will we will we will link to an amazing uh, post on the Long Winters blog uh, entitled "One Story of How I Lost My Tooth," uh, written by John in 2008, and we will also link to an interview or a a, a story about uh, the Long Winters playing in uh, New York City, um, also from 2008, which has an amazing picture of John with long hair and uh, a beard and glasses and uh, uh, he's singing and his mouth is wide open and you can see his missing tooth. So anyway, uh, <laughs> because uh, yeah. So anyway, um, good it stuff. It adds character. It, That's it, what I mean. For sure it adds character. I'm glad you're getting it fixed though. Um. I, me too. <laughs> I, I tried uh, I tried a, a, a trick that uh, someone sent me a, a picture <laughs> of a hockey player spitting water through oh, a, through a the, gap in his yeah. mouth. Yeah. yeah, and so I played hockey on on Tuesday night soon after I had chipped this, and I tried that and it did not work. All I did huh. was just spit water all over the people <laughs> beside me, and they didn't think it was very funny. And I was like, No, no, no! I'm trying something. I'm trying to I'm trying to trick. And they're like, Uh huh, uh huh, sure. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it, it has provided me with some uh, with, with some excitement this week, but I'm going to get it fixed tonight. And it doesn't I, it doesn't hurt. It's mm-hmm. it's like one of these things that um, makes me say things a little bit differently yep, yep. because like my tongue naturally does not go to where it would have gone mm-hmm. when my tooth was there. And then it goes to the side and then I, I sound like Sylvester from uh, from the cartoons. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Suffering. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, that was, that was my Thanksgiving. Uh, it was a lovely time. I got to hang out with family. Thanks. Uh, American Thanksgiving as it's known, not in, in, uh, in, in Canada, uh, you know, <laughs> as it's known, I guess everywhere except in the U S right. Um, is, uh, is one of my, it is my favorite holiday. It's not one of my favorite holidays. I like, wow. I like all holidays, hmm. but it's, it's, it's my favorite. It is, it's cool to just do stuff and then get it over with on the Wednesday and Thursday and then have three days of recovery of, of really not doing much and everything gets canceled and, and there's no emails and people are on uh, Twitter. That's, uh, that's where I was for most of the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, cool. so while, while, as we segue, oh, we're still talking about Thanksgiving and as we segue into, into food safety, I do have a, a, a story to tell, um, about, how, and this, and this relates to Thanksgiving as well. So on, so we, I have been, uh, in Hawaii giving a talk, um, f- uh, to the ASM section there. And so shout out, oh, and somebody introduced herself, uh, a student introduced herself and said, hey, I listen to your podcast. So, so shout out to that student um, whose name I don't remember who, awesome. who, who, who listens to the podcast. So, so thanks for that. Um, uh, so we were on our way. And so we took a little bit of vacation and we, we, we went to Maui, which, was, which is highly recommended. I mean, there's a, there's a, a, Hawaii is problematic because there's a lot of, a lot of poverty there. But um, we, got, we tried to get, as I've been telling people, we tried to get over our white guilt um, and enjoy the vacation a little bit. But, how, but Maui was amazing. But w- what happened is I was sitting in the lounge in Maui waiting to go back to Honolulu so we could get our flight um, uh, to, to Denver so I could have Thanksgiving with my son. And I got a phone call, a repeat phone call, but they didn't leave a message. So I just, I didn't respond. But then I, I saw a text message and it's a reporter that I worked with before, um, from, from Fox news who said, Hey, we really want to do an interview about Romaine. I'm like, that's fine. Um, I'm in a lounge, uh, <laughs> uh, airport lounge, um, in Hawaii. Um, but let's do it. Um, and so we made it work and, uh, they, they wanted, the funniest thing was when they wanted B roll and it's like, well, we need B roll. So can you like, how, how can you type on the computer? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, you're videotaping me from the computer on Skype. So, well, let me get my iPad out and then. I got the ear, the ear thing in my the the Damn. headphones, the little uh, wired headphones in my ear, and I'm trying to get far away from the computer and put and posi- and then I'm working with the angle of the light. Anyway, but we we did it. Um, but then the most amazing thing is we were we were back home for a couple of days. We were going out for um, not to compromise my my opsec too much, but we were going out for Indian food, which we always do on Sunday. And a person came up to us on the street and said, "Hey." Did I see you on TV? Like a random, <laughs> random stranger from my town, and I'm like, yes. And she says, oh yes, I know. Um, there's a person that used to live with me, and you walk by our house sometimes uh, to get to get coffee. And I'm like, oh yes, and and uh, yeah, I'm Whoa. a professor at Rutgers University. And anyway, and then she ended the conversation by thanks for keeping us safe from romaine lettuce. And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> Whoa, that's <laughs> so, awesome. So yeah, that I've, I've never been recognized by somebody on the street that didn't know me that, that anyway, it's, it's, it was, it was a weird experience. Yeah. So, but she was very nice about yeah. it and it was, it was, it was very nice. And so anyway, it was fun. That's very cool. I've, I've never had that, that experience. The closest thing that I've had to that has happened twice where I've been in a bar because <laughs> I go to when, bars. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you were when, on TV when, in the bar while you were in the bar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and one time was with a group of, of, of people who I just met that night. So it was, um, a couple of friends this is when I was, uh, back at the university of Guelph and, um, in graduate school. And, um, you know, I don't know, there was like six or eight of us. We were all sitting at this table and it was a, one of those sports bars where there's TVs from every angle. And so I kind of glance out of the corner of my eye that I'm on TV and I don't, I I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm always kind of like, yeah, a little like you never know if you say something kind of terrible and you don't want to point it out. And so I'm like, oh, man, just hopefully this clip goes quick. And then the person who's across from me is looking at me and then looking at the TV <laughs> and then looking at me and yeah, then looking exactly. back at the TV. And then I was like, uh, hey, and, and the guy is like, are you, are you on TV right now? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I am. <laughs> Uh, so that, yeah, it was, it was weird, but I've never, that, that's a cool experience to get kind of recognized, not, not by somebody who, you know, you like, you know, right. Like that's, that's very, that's, and that, that it wasn't like they had, you know, you're in that same space where it's being broadcast and you're like, wait a second, these faces look the same, Mm -hmm. um, that it, that they had to have remembered your face. Right. Um, Exactly. Oh, interesting. Um, so all right. Well, that yeah. So let's. I mean, let let's talk about the um, the the lettuce in the room. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think lettuce. that's the right cliche. Lettuce, lettuce. Uh, oh, romaine, romaine lettuce. Don, this is a this is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, I I there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on with this with this outbreak. So we have an E. coli outbreak um, in, in two different countries. Um, looking like that's from the same source based on information that is shared back and forth between, uh, Canadian health authorities and U S uh, health authorities. So CDC public health agency of Canada, um, both of them announced the, this, um, investigation at the same time on, I guess it was Tuesday night a week ago. Um, so just for, uh, you know, time is a flat circle kind of stuff here. We're talking, uh, today is November 26th. This was all announced on the 20th of November. Um, and had, uh, 32 people in the U S sick and an additional 18 people in Canada that were ill. So I, you know, 50 ish type people. Um, the, the outbreak is, um, it, it has been epidemiologically linked to romaine lettuce, um, and now a traceback process is, is going on. And the, um, the, the notable piece, I guess, cause we've talked about Romaine, uh, earlier this year and then about a year ago. And that this outbreak is, um, linked genetically through whole genome sequencing to an outbreak that happened also in Romaine lettuce a year ago. Um, and, but not an outbreak that happened linked to Romaine lettuce, Earlier this year, that was linked, that was traced to Yuma or the Yuma growing region um, for for lettuces. So this is this is the it's kind of unique, right? Because of that, because we're what we've got are two outbreaks happening close to the to the same time in two separate years. So there's some seasonality, the same source 
uh, or at least well, what it looks like. Well, the same well, yeah. same strain, which implies yeah. the same source, right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I guess by by source, maybe what I mean is reservoir or close to the same spot, but gene- genetically, very, very likely that that the the O one five seven is originating or, or is is housed is housed in the same spot. Um, so yeah, exactly. I think that it's it's important to talk about that. It may not be the same. Um, fields, it may not be the same company, but they're the upstream, um, no pun intended because water might be the sort a factor here, but the upstream source of this looks like it's, it's linked and, and it, and it never went away from last year. Right. Um, well, all that happened is that we got lettuce from somewhere else, which was, again, let's assuming it's a water contamination. So basically we moved, the, the production areas moved seasonally as they always do. Um, and then they moved out of this area and then the outbreak stopped and then they came back to this area in one year and then the outbreak apparently started back up again. At least that's, that's what, what the, what people are, are thinking. That's not yep. confirmed. It might, it might indeed be just simple coincidence, right? That's a possible explanation. Um, but I think it's probably more likely that it is the same, some sort of common source, um, that, that is, and it might be the same field. It might be the same region. <clears throat> it might be a different field and the same water source. Again, we just don't know. And, and again, all of this is being done. Um, you know, like the, the cases occurred in October, right? And so here it is the middle of November and we're just now learning about this because of the time it takes to put all of that epidemiology together. And so now we're having to go back, uh, or investigators are having to go back to where lettuce was being produced in October, where it's not being produced now and try to figure out what, and, 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 and figure out generally, right? Cause it's not like, you know, that it came from this field. You just know that it came from this part of the country, which might be a very, very large geographical area. Right, right. And and I think like going back to the 2017 outbreak, we have more data points, right? Like if these two things are are the same, um, the same reservoir or whatever it is, what what is it about the information that we had from that um, that outbreak compared to this one? And those dates are a little bit different. So, so those um, onset uh, illnesses in 2017, we'll link to this in, in show notes, they didn't start showing up until after November 1st and the last illness that happened in 2017 um, onset was, was December 13th. And, and this year it's, it's earlier. Um, and as of right now, I don't, I don't think we've seen any outbreaks or sorry, any illnesses, any cases um, that have been reported after October 31st. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't continue to roll in, but that, to me, those like putting these two things together could uh, help us um, identify the source a little a little bit better because we're not just looking at what was on the market now and where like or in October here this year, but also what was on the market in. October and into November last year, because this is, as, as you kind of pointed out to or alluded to here, we're in this transitional period between um, lettuce that is grown in California and lettuce that is grown in other um, other areas um, of the U.S., Florida, um, for instance. And, and we also, I mean, we grow a lot of lettuce here in North Carolina earlier in the year. So it, it's kind of like w- those two things together should help us zero in a little bit on whether it's a growing region or, um, or less likely, I think just based on the seasonality aspect, but, 
I may I may be missing something on this. Is is it is it linked to a certain processor? Right. Um, if we're looking at cut or wash, right? Like it doesn't make as much sense that it would disappear for almost a whole year and then reappear in that processing facility. Um, unless the source is something that's not actually romaine and it's another product that's seasonally in that, um, in that, uh, processing facility. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't think we're, you and I are, 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 I guess, handicapped a little bit here because all we know right now is here are the illnesses. What's not really been released yet, other than trickling out from tweets and um, people afford us stuff that's like, you know, uh, something from a growers association saying we don't have any product or this couldn't be us because we didn't have product during these dates. That whole picture. What I think FDA would be looking at with uh, their yarn strings, like uh, like an episode of Homeland, trying to connect all these dots of where it all came from. We don't we don't know all those pieces right now, and and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we if you and I will, but that's what that's what what FDA is looking at is what can we what what do we know and what can we link together. Yes, and and I think that and I thank you for pointing out that the the uh, the dates um, don't exactly overlap, and so I mean I was sort of you know being lazy and not looking this up, but actually the 2017 outbreak, uh, the earliest case is the first week of November, and those cases mostly hit during November and then into December, and and so the 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 time period is offset almost a month. So right, right. That, is so, that, it's not, and, so it's it's quote unquote the same time of the year, but not really. And I guess what what I want to know is like what's the um, what's the difference in the 2017 outbreak uh, growing season versus the 2018 uh, growing season? And what what I keep wanting, what I keep imagining in my head that I would love to see is some sort of a frequency analysis that says, look. Here are some different colored um, bars that show the fraction of where the you know like okay during this time period like because because the, the lettuce supply is constant but the but the right what where those come from um, or it's relatively constant but where those where that given one hundred percent of the lettuce is coming from well it might be ten percent from here and and seventy percent from here and twenty percent from here what I'd like to see is what's the pattern for 2017 versus the pattern from 2018 and whether, whether we even can know that, right? Like, I, I mean, right. Uh, cause, cause somebody, well, you might need to put it together from multiple sources, right? Because these companies are all competing with each other. There are aspects of confidentiality and trade secrets and, and stuff like that, that, that do, I think, keep people from maybe getting some of that information. But I would really like to know that, right? Because I mean, could be that I mean the logical source is well. Well, where is most of the lettuce coming from? And that's the most likely source. But the other thing that's happening is we have this transition period, right, where you're ending a growing season in one particular place, and maybe there's something about. And again, I, I just don't know enough about how lettuce is being how lettuce is, is is raised. But there maybe there's something about at the end of the season. Maybe the plants are stressed, or people are in a hurry, or. I don't know. Maybe labor practices are different. This, you know. So again, I, there's just so much that, that I don't know, and that maybe some people maybe do know, but but it, but again, that maybe they're and they're still trying to figure it out. So it's very. I don't know. It's a. You know, we know a lot of things, but there's still a lot that we don't know. And again, like so many things like this, we may never know. 
Right. And we yeah. have to be prepared to never know that, right? I mean, because it may, it may just be that we, we just never learn that. And, and how do we, how do we get better from this? Mm. Like how, you know, that, that's always the, the, the question that, that I, you know, I, I, I never want to leave my mind, right? Like we have these illnesses, we have this outbreak, how, what do we, what can we take away from what we do know, even if we don't solve it, that will help us in the future, whether that's being able to dedicate resources to being able to track things differently or what, whatever, whatever it is. But that, that's the other piece that, that I'm still, um, struggling with as I read through all the material on this. Um, and, and I really, I really do come back to this 2017 outbreak as saying, okay, let's, let's overlay these two things. Let's see. Okay. If we, if we have, and and you and I've had some Twitter exchanges with with lots of people um, who are close to the leafy green industry, people that are in the leafy green industry, um, retailers. I mean, go if, if, for those who are interested. Just go sort of see our, our Twitter history um, on this over the last few few days. Um, I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of like, hey, we're really good at traceability, and and that's probably true to a point. And what I really want to know is, okay, if you're really good at traceability this year, how good were you at traceability last year around the same spot? And can we connect those two, those two things together? Do we know where, where product was coming from and where it was going even generally, um, in those, you know, over in last year's, um, outbreak. And, and as you, as you point out, I, you know, I kind of say, Someone's got to know, and I uh, where what that looks like, and I I agree. It's not just like one person's probably looking at it, but there are pieces of this data in lots of different companies' uh, hands and regulators' hands, probably based on last year's in investigation. Um, and that's the part that's really kind of interesting to me on this because I wonder. Um, <laughs> I, I want, uh, we talk about holding information, uh, for, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever, three years, seven years, and it doesn't really matter. But when, when we have an outbreak, it's important to like keep information on logs and have a historical sense of where things went. And, and this year, last year's data is as important this year as it was last year. Right. I guess that's, the, that's the point I'm trying to make here is, have we uncovered everything through the investigation last year that can help narrow this down? Cause we've now got multiple data points. Um, and this, this overset overlap of, of a few days, um, of illnesses and, and the difference in seasonality may, may be the key to solving this. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that I, that I don't want to, to lose in this is that there's an, there's an element that I'm, recognizing for the first time and I'm sort of hearing for the first time. And there was some very, very articulate, I thought, letters coming from Florida saying, basically, look, we we know that in October, Florida, we, we the, the lettuce growers of Florida, were not producing romaine lettuce or, or lettuce at all, right? Uh, because of our growing pattern. And we are about to start producing 
our lettuce. And we would really like to sell that lettuce, right? We don't want to have to disc it under. And I think back to the spinach outbreak um, from the mid-2000s where I was standing in a spinach field with a New Jersey spinach farmer trying to explain to him why he couldn't sell his lettuce based on an outbreak that was traced back to California, right? And right, and so, right. and I And I think it's good, right? I mean, it's bad that that New Jersey spinach farmer was facing catastrophe, but it's good that folks in Florida are pushing back on this and saying, look, we need CDC or FDA to sound the all clear, at least on Florida lettuce, right? Because we know, we know for a fact that we we did not produce that lettuce. Why? Because at that point in time, we were not producing any lettuce. So it could not have been us, right? And so, and I think that's an important aspect too, for a variety of reasons, like these farmers Number one, I would rather have romaine lettuce in my gyro salad than, than iceberg lettuce because, quite honestly, it was terrible. Um, it was not a good salad. But also, these are business people that have a that, that are that are not guilty, right? <laughs> they they are not guilty other than they're producing the same product on the other side of the country that was implicated, and so they ought to be. Um, cut some slack, um, in my opinion, and, and that is a and that's a. It sort of relates back to people not understanding where food comes from, right? And so we need to do a better job of that. And I think the regulatory agencies need to do a better job of that. And yeah, maybe they were right to issue this blanket warning, but they need to also be able to issue uh, basically the all clear for, for at least for, for lettuce from certain regions. Now, you, you could raise the argument, well, how do we know, right? How do we know that the lettuce... Right, right. And the supermarket comes from Florida. It's like, well, I don't know, but we should be able to figure out how to do that, right? Uh, anyway. Well, and this is um, this is one, like, I think another interesting one where you've got the majority, right? Like, we, we know that um, it, we've got industry folks from Florida that, that are saying, absolutely, we know that we couldn't have been growing stuff. But that that might represent their membership, or maybe that represents ninety nine point nine percent of it. But are is, is it is it realistic to think that that there was no um, small grower in Florida that was able to grow romaine lettuce that was harvested in in October? And if the answer to that's no, and you, and we know that one hundred percent, then then we're then we're good. But I, I every time. We see stuff like this in in growing seasons and how people yeah, how people grow things and can get them on the market and everyone wants to be early and, and try and stay ahead. I've seen in strawberries and I know it's a totally different crop, but there are, there are often times where, where we may get some stuff to a local market quicker and it's not it's not in even in season yet, and that's the part that I wonder if if the investigators are putting too much stock into that, right? Like, well, you say that it's a hundred percent, but is it really a hundred percent? If we're wrong on this and it is a Florida producer that's, that's linked to this and, and it, and it meets what we would have expected last year because you know, the, the illnesses last year certainly look like they're in the Florida growing, you know, growing season, then, then what, what do we, how, how bad do we look? Right. And this is, this gets to an issue. I don't know, like, I, I don't have a stance on who's who's right or wrong uh, on this. I agree with your your message of if we know that it's not, we couldn't have possibly been shipping it. 
And, and it's, and here are, here's how you distinguish our, our product on the market, because we know we weren't shipping it, then that stuff should be at market or, or, or being used right now. But, um, this is the, the, one of the points that I was trying to make on, on Twitter over the weekend was that we're, we're guessing at this and this is a time for regulators, investigators, public health folks to be able to show their work and say, here's how we're making this decision. And right now, a blanket statement by one public health agency and then a less than blanket statement from a food regulator, both in the U.S., and I'll highlight, we'll link to these in in show notes, but CDC still um, maintains on um, on their website uh, and their, um, their director um, – uh, Robert Redfield released a statement um, on over the weekend saying CDC continues to investigate a multi-state outbreak. Um, you know, we understand this outbreak's of concern. So many people are having meals Thanksgiving. Uh, disease detectives are working with partners, blah, blah, blah. However, until we know more, it is crucial that, can, that Americans continue to follow the guidance that CDC has issued. There are no exceptions. All remain less must be discarded regardless of brand type or if it's a mixture. And, and, and then we have, um, uh, Scott Gottlieb, who is uh, an FDA commissioner saying, um, the romaine implicated current outbreak is likely from California based on growing and harvesting patterns. The goal is now to withdraw the product that's being risk, uh, that's at risk of being contaminated from the market and then restock the market. Um, and these are two totally different messages. I assume that these, that these agencies are looking at the same data. And what's missing, and what I what I continue to call call out is just show us how you made these decisions. I'm not I don't know if either of them is right or wrong, but if you can if you can pull back the curtain a little bit and show your work on this, it might help us explain to people why we're making these decisions, and it may help with some of the confusion. And that's the that's the piece, right? Like. I, I think there's lots of stuff floating on out there and we can pull pieces of it and say, oh, it is Florida. It's not Florida. It's California. It's not California, whatever it is. But but without showing all the work, it's hard to explain that. Right. Well, and I think ultimately, so a couple of points here. Um, it's a, a lot of it is it's not a smoking gun, right? It's not like, oh, we found the outbreak strain in a bag that's labeled with the farm it came from, right? You, yep, you, yep. It's, it's all – Statistical associations, it's epidemiology, which is not an exact science, right? It's it's market patterns, which is not exact. It's traceback, which is also confusing and complicated and intermingled and 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 not always straightforward, right? So it's all it's all of that working together, right? So that's that's uh, that's the one thread. And the other thread is that uh, FDA and CDC are part of the same agency, okay? They're, they're both part of Health and Human Services. Uh, there is, uh, they have liaisons, right? There's an FDA liaison that actually is employed by FDA that sits down in Atlanta, Georgia, in the food group at, at CDC. And they have conference calls together and they talk about this stuff and they disagree, right? And then there's also politicals, there's politics there. I mean, I know from talking with people that used to work at FDA that have shared with me that it's not always the best relationship and they try to work together, but they don't always and they have different missions, right? FDA has a public health mission, but also a regulatory mission. CDC has a strictly public health mission. They don't have a regulatory mission. Um, And so there's differences there. And I think ultimately... 
showing the problem is like it's not like showing your work in an, like an algebra problem, right? It's showing your work where you're making judgments and you're making assumptions, right. and it's it's messy. And and I think that there is a reluctance. People have a reluctance to show their work where it's it's messy or where they like people are uncomfortable with uncertainty and with with maybe with nuance and 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 that's one of the great things about the podcast is that you and I can sit and we can talk about this stuff but i i think but when we're academics right we have no no necessarily no skin in the game versus a policy person that is worried about those things and is worried about the optics and the perspective and they don't want to make a mistake, right? And they don't, and, and you, 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 again, it's back to that Paul Mead quote. You don't want to make a mistake either way. Right, Either right. you make a mistake and you compromise public health or you make a mistake and you compromise business. And what we can agree to disagree on is where you draw that line. But but even the, the like what you're saying with show your work is like, well, show your work why you drew the line that place. And we could and we could have two different people look at the same data and come to different conclusions, right? Even even if you can agree on the data and you and you might not always have exactly the same data. So right. anyway, it's uh it's it's complicated. And and it and I but but I mean, I think you know, and and you and you made it. You had a great uh, a great tweet uh, in this l- long thread where somebody was talking about certainty, and I don't know. They they were making some some very definitive statements, and you rightly called them out on it because it's not it, it's it, it. We don't have absolute safety, and we don't have absolute certainty, and we have we have to be comfortable with that. And we but but again, e- even with that. I, I absolutely agree with your statement. Like, show show your work. Like, show me how you got to this statement. Yeah, and and I, I won't you know uh, belabor this this point too much, but but just hang on one more. Uh, hmm. But uh, but but wait, uh, there's more. Hmm. Um, and 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 I think that there is. So we're in a situation now that I don't know how unlike this is to other times in in history. The more that I read about it, um, the more that I think it's it, we we just happen to be living in it, and it seems much more unique. But um, there have been lots of times in in the history of science where people haven't trusted science, right? Like where where data. Um, seem magical and how things work. People just didn't don't trust it, and, and people still don't don't trust it. And we see it on climate change. We see it on lots of other things. This isn't this isn't an, an, um, a ch- another type of chance for us to explain the the science and the assumptions and uncertainties associated with epidemiology and and almost kind of get to like, hey, we're we're doing our best here, and here's how we're making these decisions. And it may not be right, but this is what we 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 feel that we have a duty to go forward with this message um, based on you know facts A B C and D and and not having anything in E F for whatever whatever that is. And this is what I think citizen science is all about. This is what I think um, uh, what many higher um, uh, higher education research programs are promoting this this idea of trust in science and and to have scientists kind of say you know what there isn't time to share that stuff because we're trying to protect public health is really uh, a circular it, right. it really just it it doesn't we don't we don't get any we don't gain we don't learn anything by going forward if it's kind of like hey just let me do my job it's it's no it's we want you to do your job and we want you to explain what your job is so people trust you better 
or trust you more or understand that there are uncertainties and, the, and that risk is, is not, um, it, it's not a, it, not a hundred percent thing. I, yeah. I, yeah. Um, and you're, and you're, you're a public employee, you're doing your job in public. So get, deal with that. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, and I understand you have to have priorities and you have to, you can't like, you can't spend all your time talking to people about the outbreak because then you wouldn't be investigating the outbreak, but, but you have, but you have to strike a balance there and, 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 and where the appropriate place to strike that balance may change with culture. It may change with time. It may change with the nature of the outbreak. It cha- it changes by the day, by the hour, by the week, by the year, by the decade, right? All of that right. needs to be considered. And yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a different, it's a different time, right? We have the internet, we have Twitter. Um, you know, it's not like we're all waiting for the New York times to come out so we can sit down and read what the new or Walter Cronkite does read what the news is and, 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 and public health needs to change with that. Right, right. Exactly. And, and, and there are tools to do it. And in fact, I look at, at Scott Gottlieb's use of Twitter here as a, as a model, right? Like, yeah, I mean, there are lots of times sure. where I can, where I can complain about, um, administrative use of, of Twitter, but here's someone who's like, <laughs> here's someone at, at what, who, at what level of the government, Ben, or would you care to share? Uh, no, just different, different levels, different of levels. Okay. All the levels, different, yeah, all the, all the, all the great levels. levels. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but but here you've got a you've got a commissioner of FDA who, over Thanksgiving weekend, is is you know sitting somewhere at home or in his office, and is like, you know what, I'm going to get a message out right now about where we're at, and where we're at is we we think that it might be coming from California, and and here's some stuff. The secondary part that I like to see is how what you know what is the data that harvesting data and understand that you can't share it all and you've got to redact some of it because it's business but but give us a little more and then have CDC react to that and I and I think in a public way to say you know what we we see this same thing but what we're concerned about is this doesn't match up with whatever it looked like last year or whatever right? like it doesn't all it doesn't kind of explain everything whatever it is whatever that piece of information is that threshold that disagreement I am totally fine with disagreements. In fact, I I like I like it when we have um, you know going back to the stuff that that we've talked about temperature differences in um, you know consumer messaging and how it's different from temperatures for safe handling temperatures or safe cooking temperatures in in commercial settings and I'm okay with that because there's an explanation for it right I don't agree with the explanation but the explanation of well people are more likely to remember four and forty than they are one thirty five and one forty one I like I can understand that difference I understand where they're coming from and and. Maybe that's maybe that's even a testable hypothesis, right? You you can actually like, design like, an experiment to evaluate that question. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but but right right now, I think we're there's a lot of stuff floating out there, and not enough. Okay, here's how we're making here's how we're making these decisions, and and it is it is okay to question that. It's always okay to question it. So and and I didn't I I guess in my in my grad school schooling I was. Um, uh, you know, working with Doug, I was, he was always very much, uh, interested in just ask, ask why, what is what are the numbers? What, like, why are they making these decisions? And I think as I contrast that with my experience in cooperative extension over the last 10 years, there's not a lot of questioning of why, right? Like yeah. there's a lot of, 
just like, yeah, okay, someone's giving me something I'm going to accept it at, at face value and we're going to run with it. And then when someone asks me why, I don't have a good answer for them because I say, oh, well, it's because this is what USDA says. And you know, it's like, well, why Why do they say that? Oh, and, you know, it sound like my, my eight-year-old. Um, but that in an, in an outbreak like this, it is important to share the why and and how we're, how we're making decisions because it all – it's not people are going to ask the questions you might as well say it right right <laughs> right well, well or at least at least some people are going to ask the question people like people yeah. like you and me and and i have to also i i do want to come back to something you said about about gottlieb i mean th- there are a lot of people that love to i mean i've been reading you know very far left opinions on this and a friend of mine who's a, a vegan on on a high school friend shared something on on uh, Facebook about this and then I got into it with some of his people that he's he uh, are his friends on Facebook that believe that you know food from small farmers is are, is you know th- that's less risky and you know trying to push back on that and people love to bag on Gottlieb because he's a Trump appointee but honestly I think he's doing a pretty good job I mean he really yeah. is uh, his 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 work on Twitter is a, is a positive example, and I think he is doing a, a, quite a good job. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's that's my two cents on uh, on Gottlieb. Well, yeah, and, and I'll um, one of, a friend of the podcast who will remain anonymous sent me a message today that he uh, screenshotted from Twitter that these these outbreaks they often uh, you know food safety comes down to politics and trade. Um, and here's another example. Um, this is from Eugene Gu MD, uh, a tweet that says we have an outbreak of E. coli one five seven H seven, which makes you vomit blood. I'm not really sure it does that. But, no, it makes you poop um, blood, ha- Eugene. Yeah, MD. Yeah. it's okay. I mean, we'll, we'll help you yeah, with yeah. the science. Have bloody diarrhea and even pee blood as you lose your kidneys. Maybe that's that part's a little more true with HUS. Mm-hmm. And it's this is the part that I disagree with. It's all because of Trump overturned Obama era rules to test our farm water. Farmers saved twelve million so we could pay one hundred eight million in medical costs. And it's that's that's not true. Right, like that's, right. And, uh, well, that's and, not, and 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 Eugene yeah. MD. Um, uh, let me tell you that I was in a meeting where I advocated for that position that the the test the the rules for testing were poorly conceived and they were not protective of public health and so just because something doesn't happen or just because a rule goes a certain way it it's not always politics i mean and i, I you know and it's and the fact that it's like watching like we were watching big bang theory the other day and there was something about um, uh, there's always stuff about grants or I know is Sheldon and Amy are going to publish a paper, right? And it's just like, that's not the way papers work. That's not the way grants work. And then, and then see something like from Eugene Gu, it's like, well, that's not really the way the science of this works. And it's, it's, and, and that makes me question though, all the other things where I, I, I read a, you know, well, uh, Washington post editorial and I'm like, yeah, 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 that's right. You know? And then I, I, right, I know right. about the world where I have specific discipline expertise and you know, it's not like I'm becoming a Republican or anything. And I, <laughs> but, but it does give me pause to say, well, you know, maybe it's not quite as simple a world as, as, uh, Eugene, uh, Gu MD thinks it is. Right. Right. And it's, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't always, it doesn't have to come down to, um, someone rolling back rules or not these, you know, it's science is a little more complicated than that. And, and the policy side of things can get, can get debated, but ultimately it rests on the industries 
you know, decisions, you know, whatever, whatever rules come up, there are still many, many industry members that are already testing at, at, at levels that exceed any of the proposed rules. They don't really know what to do with it sometimes, but they're, they're exceeding that right in, I don't know, this is, it, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, it's a real, it's a real tough one for me. And, and it, it, here's like one of the things that, um, that I think both sides of the political spectrum have kind of argued, it's really not too hard to find facts on, you know, quote facts, uh, online that support your argument and omit other things. And, and this, you know, when, when you and I are close to one, it's easy to be like, yeah, but you're missing the other six things. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it makes me think, you know, other stuff that I read about, I'm like, oh, what, is there someone who's close to that that thinks the exact same thing? But I, it right, like whatever, whatever that other area is, whether it's healthcare or something else, I don't know. Um, yeah, and you know, and and so I, you know, I'm I'm very I'm very intrigued now with uh, Eugene Gu MD um, uh, because he's a surgeon and he, uh, as he puts in his Twitter bio, he's trying to save the lives of infants with congenital heart and kidney diseases. And so, okay, so like he has specific expertise, and 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 yeah, let's let's not get into um, whether doctors should stay in their lane or not, because I I kind of believe believe that the doctors that push back on the NRA on on that are are in the right, but. You know, Eugene that maybe doesn't quite understand food safety. Also, he capitalizes coli, right? Which I, you well, know, that could be just a well. The, that could be a thing, right? I, like, well, uh, I know it, it always gets capitalized. You, it. It, you have to fix yeah. it. You have to know it's not right, and you have to take the time to fix it. So anyway, I'm I'm sure. Anyway, I, I, I yeah, I don't want to get into a Twitter war with Eugene Gu MD, but um, but I I'm I'm yeah, I would like to, but I'm not going to. I guess is what, I, yeah. what I'm trying to say. Well, and, and I'll, you know, just to talk a little bit more about Eugene Gu, MD, um, <laughs> another tweet in this stream. That's not like, going to be the episode title. No, it's not. It's not because it'll, well, we'll draw the ire of his followers. Oh, um, and he has a lot of them, Ben. There's a I lot of, a lot of retweets and likes on these awesome. posts. I, I don't want to get into that. Yeah. Um, so overuse of antibiotics in our farm animals encourages the growth of this deadly strain of E. coli over other bacteria. I don't, I don't think that's I don't, true. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I believe, um, I believe that we overuse antibiotics, but I don't believe overuse of antibiotics has led to the problem we have with 0157H7. The problem from 0157H7 comes from cows pooping in water that we use to irrigate crops. At least, at least that's yeah. been ch- or or other animals pooping in water that's been used to or irrigate crops. Right? That that's the problem is the poop in the in the food. Uh, yeah. and, and it's hard, you know, because I don't know if you know this, Ben, but the food we grow that outside. That's also where there's poop. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh man, yes. Uh, the, okay, so before we leave the testing yes. world, and this isn't mm. more Eugene Goo, but I did an, um, <laughs> an interview with a um, a journalist over the weekend who who asked me about testing, and th- th- here's here's a message. This you know, I'll, I'll challenge those folks on on Twitter who who want us to talk less about um, show your work. Uh, to this, how, how do we explain to people in a better way that they're gonna that they understand um, and 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 know more about or not make the assumption that that all food or all water is tested for for pathogens before it's before it makes it to us, and why we don't do that and what the limitations of testing at all would be, and that that's a really complex uh, thing to explain. Um, but, but, uh, you know, a journalist 
like, you know, kind of, we, we started talking about how could this happen, right? And just exactly what you and I are talking about here. Well, it could be that we've got some contaminated water, that water gets contaminated from an animal source. Cause that's likely where E. coli 157 H7 is coming from in the first place. It's, you know, manure, animal, soil, whatever it is. At some point it came from intestinal, intestinal tracts and that water is used in um, in irrigation uh, and used to, to grow, or we've got flooding, and and the, even if the water wasn't going to be used in irrigation, but there's a rain event and it spreads. Okay, those are, that's where I kind of like my standard answer. Mm-hmm. And so the journalist was like shocked, and and he said, so like why don't they? Why isn't that all tested? Why isn't all that water tested? And I was like, well, it's not tested because there's a lot of it. Um, it's not tested because we don't really know what the right parameters are for testing it are. Um, we, we know that over time, even if there are pathogens in it at, at a, um, at a small, um, concentration that, that those pathogens won't, won't survive. Uh, um, and, and we have this, you know, whole, whole idea of like date to harvest and applying this. We know that there's a lot of dilution and, and, you know, the, ultimately our testing regime isn't good enough to find it and, and enough it's not good enough to find it and help help us make decisions. So we don't we don't test it because it doesn't really tell us much. And he's like, oh well, that's the story. I was like, well, I mean, that's not a new that's not a new story. That's that's been kind of our situation from the start of microbiology, um, and we're getting better at it. But it, it doesn't te- you know testing doesn't doesn't give us an end result of, of safe food. Um, and, and so, you know, he was like, he's like, you know, food's not my beat, but this is shocking to me. I just thought that every lettuce item that I eat has been tested. I was like, wow, there's that, that, like that misconception. How do we help fight that and, and sort of explain why we don't test and, and all those limitations? That's, you know, that, that's a, that's a miss for us. We, we just haven't done a good job at that. Yeah, well, and I think people, people. I mean, I, I give a lecture every year in our food micro class to people in the food industry and explain over and over again every year. I mean, I explain it once or twice to the class. I don't do it over and over again to the class. But every, <laughs> every year, I do, it over, I do it over every year to basically explain why testing doesn't work. And that's because microbiological contamination is a low-frequency event and the number of tests that you'd have to run to have any reasonable... I mean, it's the whole reason why we have hassle. Up, right is that because testing doesn't work testing has a role to play um, but if you like if you test the head of lettuce to find out if it has pathogens then that head of lettuce is in the testing laboratory it's not on your plate right and just because I tested the one in the testing laboratory doesn't mean that the one that's on your plate is safe because again microbiological contamination is low level and it's sporadic. And uh, yeah, and I think you explained the whole testing water uh, situation well. And then the other option is, well, so what should the standard be and what, what is a farmer to do um, if they get a positive test? I think what we, what we need is we need, we need uh, cheap and, fa- and fast. The other thing is, is speed, speed of testing, right? It's like if, you, need, if yep. you have to have 24 to 48 to 72 hours or more to get a definitive answer, microbiological answer, well, then you know, the, the farmer needs to make a decision faster than that. So I think we need, we need fast and cheap testing. And we also need, honestly, economic, um, uh, economically viable ways of treating massive amounts of, of water. And that, that you know, that, yes. that doesn't, that doesn't, um, that, that doesn't break the bank for farmers. Right. I mean, it's all, it's all 
trade-offs, right? You could you could have uh, safer water if you tested more, if you had more treatment, but that might make our food really expensive, right? And so, and it's not it's not just about the you know farmers making a lot of money, as as Eugene points out in one of his tweets. Um, it's it's not that uh, farmers save twelve million, so we pay one hundred eight million for medical costs. It's like, well, okay, so the farmers save twelve million. Let's say they didn't save a twelve million, that would raise the cost of the food supply. Now, if you're Eugene Gu, MD, and you have lots of money to spend on food, then maybe that's one situation. But what if you're somebody that maybe has less money to spend on food and can't afford a ten dollar head of lettuce, right? And so th- these are, and again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that position. All I'm saying is that these are the kinds of complicated trade offs that we're dealing with. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's all right. It's all trade offs, right? Trade offs all the way down. Went- <laughs> Trade-offs all the way down. It's you know here we've got trade-offs in the in the field and production. We've got trade-offs um, in the um, uh, in, in the processing plan. And and you and I had a, a brief phone call with uh, you know a couple of uh, contributors to the to the podcast, both in spirit and in content, multiple times. We talked with um, Linda Harris and Michelle Daniluk uh, right before this this recording. And here's another trade-off, right? Like cooked versus fresh produce. There are trade-offs there. Yep. If, if, if the the uh, taste, the palatability, uh, questionable around nutrition, whatever it is, if, if we know that there is a way to to have this product um, consumed safe and it's put it into a retort um, or grilled or sautéed, however you know, wh- whatever way you want to um, prepare it, but but that's a trade-off too. Um, we, I, I, I got, you know, going back to Thanksgiving discussion, I kind of got called out, um, on the Twitter related to ways of thawing a turkey. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm yes. not sure if you follow this, uh, but by, uh, I don't think he's a listener to the podcast, but we'll just call him our Twitter friend, Keith Warner, who, you know, my, my social media folks at NC state said, uh, you know, took some of my stuff and said, Hey, uh, our food safety specialist Ben Chapman says these are the these are the best ways to thaw your your turkey the, you know as you get ready for Thanksgiving, which is not entirely true. It's kind of like here are ways to do it, and the ways that I talk about thawing a turkey are you could do it this way, like by doing it on the counter. But you need the trade off is you got to monitor the temperature. Right. You can uh, throw it in uh, in water in in a, in in your sink. The trade off is I got to treat my sink like it's fully contaminated. You know all these things. There are no. You could, you could cook. No, you could cook from a frozen state. Could cook from a frozen state. There's trade offs there as well in terms of safety and in terms of quality and and time and and all of that. Yep. Yeah, and and Keith, I I don't think get gets that sometimes because his response is no. There's only one best way to do it, and it's to take that frozen turkey and wrap it in a plastic bag and put it in your um in in your um in your sink and put it under cold water. And I was like, I don't. I mean, what makes that best? I mean, that might be the way you like to do it. Well, and it may be the way, and this is again, you know, I, I keep thinking back to like when I started, uh, in this business and what we did in a cooperative extension is we took what FDA and, and, and USDA told us and we told that to consumers, right? And I don't do that anymore, right? I, and in, in part because of people like Pete Snyder, in part from my conversations with you here on the podcast, then I did 
it got me the, the question about thawing did get me thinking about about that and like what's the what's the science around it and Pete Pete had a paper that I don't think ever got published they they submitted it and it, and it got rejected I know Doug has um, a, a paper where they kind of review the literature on that and so I did get a, a copy of that um, through our, our library um, and you know there there's some there's some old papers out there and and honestly I didn't have time to kind of dig down but you're you're absolutely right I mean you can thaw safely on the counter but there's a there you can also thaw unsafely on the counter right uh right so right. yes yeah let, let's let's and again and it takes it takes time it takes effort it takes buying a thermometer learning how to use a thermometer um you know there's and or you know what you could just wing it you could just do whatever and hope you don't get sick right i mean that's yeah. also an option if you if you don't have time and you don't care then just do whatever right do whatever yeah <laughs> right we're not here to tell you what to do no uh, no yeah. oh 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 we have such important follow up on on telling you how to think about food safety and liberal arts and uh, we have oh, yeah, so yeah. much listener feedback and okay, we, we are we are an hour and and 14 minutes in we spent half an hour on on my silly on technology Steve-o. stuff um <laughs> <laughs> but I think this may just be a big ass long episode sure. um, because it's, I don't have anything. I, I got nothing going on. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. You want to complain about the episodes are too long. Yeah. Just, you don't have to listen to a whole episode all at once. You could listen to part of it on your drive to work and part of it on your drive home. And then if you still have podcasts left, you can listen to it after that. <sighs> yeah. It lists, we only, we only publish it once a week or once every two weeks. Yeah. Just pretend we did two weeks in a row. Yeah. Yeah, because because honestly, we could break it up into two episodes, but that's work for us, and and we're, we're not doing we, that. We're not doing that. <laughs> you break it up yourself. <laughs> it's a podcast. You don't have to listen yeah. to it all once. This is not broadcast TV. We have we have uh, we don't you know you don't need to videotape it to watch it later. It's just right on the does, podcast app. Doesn't have to fit on your TiVo. It's not yeah. going to take a lot of store. Yeah, it, might, it has to fit on your phone. But you know what? If you've run out of space on your phone, uh, maybe buy a bigger phone next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So feedback. Let's get to feedback. Okay. So um, let me get to uh, the right place in my computer. Um, oh, drop a podcast. Oh, geez. I uh, Ben, I, I've forgotten how to type. Um, okay. Dropbox podcast. Next episode. Okay. So. Um, Super important uh, message. So, so thanks to friend of the show uh, Beth McCoy, who we attributed uh, something to, and because Beth is is a is a good person and and a scholar, uh, she said um, uh, that that's not me. Okay, and so the the quote that that Beth read at our live taping at Geneseo was. Um, uh, that our podcast is like the the liberal arts of food safety. It encourages us encourages us how to think versus what to think. We attributed that to Beth. Uh, to Beth. Beth said no, and in fact, she said no, and in fact, it was on this episode at a, approximately this timestamp, and that enabled me to go back and find out who actually said it. Okay, and so it. And this is from a person 
who uh, was at Rutgers University, and I and I don't want to. Uh, I, I mean, she didn't. Uh, she she sent a message via like the, uh, email and not via the website, so I don't know to what extent she wants her details to be revealed. But let's just say it's somebody uh, that worked uh, that worked at Rutgers University and that knew me from her her time at, at Rutgers. Um, and she actually emailed us back in June, um, and it was having to do with my conversation with uh, Chef Kenji about grinding your own beef. Um, and, um, and in that statement, she, she made that, uh, uh, podcast being the liberal arts of food safety. So, so thanks to that listener for that. And also this listener gets special credit because she also named an episode, which was the rambunctious rumble in the jungle episode, uh, which, uh, which was based on an email message from this, from this listener as well. So, so thanks, thanks to that listener who is given us, uh, two, at least two gems uh that are regular uh staples of on the podcast so there you go absolutely good 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 um well and thanks always to um dr beth mccoy because she's awesome yep um Uh, so all right so uh, yeah yeah so so next uh next episode which is feedback from um uh, let's see. Well, he did again. It was sent via email. Um, he says, uh, hi folks. I saw your recent food safety talk and was able to listen to part of it. Okay. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. On the vlog. Um, yeah. I was interested in the segments on techniques for the storage of human breast milk implications for antimicrobial functions. Uh, he says, a long time ago, this is an old person older than me. He says, a long time ago, back when my hair was not gray, I was involved in a project on human milk. At the time, late 70s, human milk banks for high-risk infants uh, were placing the milk in boiling water for five minutes and then freezing the milk to preserve it. We show this was generally a bad idea. He says, I hadn't thought about the project in years. Thanks for taking me back down memory lane. And he sent a copy of the article, which was published in uh, 1983 in, in uh, JFP. Um, and I said, I said to him, thanks uh, for the message and the article. Um, in 1983, when the article was published, I was just applying to the University of Georgia for grad school. And the article um, actually comes from uh, the University of Georgia, and uh, it is an article uh, that is, the, I think the senior author is uh, Ron Eitenmiller, who is a, a professor, was a professor at, at UGA, and who who did uh, some of the, he's a nutritionist, uh, did, did research on nutrition, and... Um, yeah, so this is uh, this is a, a paper by Goldsmith, uh, Dixon, Barnhart, Toledo, and Eitenmiller, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's on uh, lactoferrin content, and and this is exciting because it comes from UGA. Uh, Romeo Toledo was my PhD advisor. Uh, Harold Barnhart was a faculty member in uh, dairy sciences, who who I knew as well. Uh, Jim Dixon, who's a who's a colleague of ours in food safety today. Um, anyway, it was just really so. So thanks, uh, thanks for reaching out and for sharing the citation and for um, yeah, just for the nice, uh, warm, fuzzy memories of uh, my early days of graduate school and uh, and and meeting uh, meeting Ron Eitenmiller, who was a great professor, who was also I don't think he liked me very much. I think he was kind of a Republican and I was kind of a hippie. Um, so I don't <laughs> think I don't think he liked me very much. But I had a lot of respect for him as a teacher. So there you go. Cool. Well, and- um, and as Jim mentioned in his email, um, it wasn't a good idea, not for microbiological reasons, oh, right. but it was, yeah, but it, what it, what it does, the, the heat treatments, what they showed in this paper was it was reducing, um, the immu, immu, immunoglobin and lactoferrin. So the IgA, IgM and lactoferrin were significantly re- decreased at all heat treatments, um, that they tested, um, 
and but um, heating at 62, and they did a whole bunch. Um, this is from the abstract. Uh, heating at 62 for 30 minutes did not affect IgG content, but the other heat treatments significantly reduced IgG concentration. So, um, so yeah, that was it was a bad it, like it was a bad idea because the 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 entire point of storing um, uh, breast milk in in a breast milk bank was to do so so um, you know the not only did the did the infant receive um, nutrients, but also um, I, you know IgG, immunoglobin, and other um, uh, other protective um, immune system um, factors. And so the bank and heating it was killing was denaturing, not killing, denaturing all those things. Right, right, and it, yeah, in an effort to destroy microorganisms or to make the product safe yep. or or lower the risk, they were actually potentially increasing the risk or in, uh, decreasing the benefits. And so, it turns yep. out, um, even in 1983, Ben, it was complicated. <laughs> so, and it turns out, here's a trade off. <laughs> oh, here's it, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, there we go. Trade off. I thought we invented that. Apparently, we didn't. We did not. We did not. Um, there's a. There's always a turns out. Um, all right, so we have um, another uh, another bit of feedback um, that comes from uh, someone who uh, is um, says that they can share all of the, uh, all the details. And I don't think usually we give the, give a person uh, an actual name, but we didn't on this one, so we'll we'll, we'll coin a name. Uh, so hi guys, recently started listening to your podcast a few months back. Already a huge fan. Thank you for putting in the effort to make these shows so entertaining, and informative. I work as a technical account manager for a food safety testing laboratory, and my work mostly entails using my food safety science background to guide clients to make appropriate evidence based decisions for their food safety plans. A few years in, I believe I'm still finally I'm finally starting to grasp some of the nuances involved in keeping food and our food supply safe. Um, however, I still find that I'm struggling my under- to understand the best practices for indicator organism t- testing. Many of my clients test for, um, and, and I always uh, mess, mess this up, enterobacteria, uh, CA, coliforms, and generic E. coli and swabs and product. What's the advantage of testing for these three overlapping groups? If you find a high EB, and coliform counts, but not E. coli. How would you respond? And so, could you could you help us out? And so, we'll call this uh, individual uh, deep testing, um, the deep tester. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'll I'll take a take a stab at this, and and let you 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 responded to yep. um, the listener uh, via email. But um, basically, they they all kind of have different um, different applications, and it depends on. How much, and I, you know, thinking about this, and I would even go outside of these indicator organisms and other things that we would look for for testing in an environmental standpoint. And I'll throw in uh, Listeria uh, species or generic uh, Listeria monocytogenes, and also ATP. Um, it really depends what someone's trying to demonstrate, um, and if if it has to do with the effectiveness of cleaning and sanitizing, then we would expect to see very little of you know, of any of these things, but it, we don't know what always what the baseline is that we're, that we're starting with. Um, and so I think a testing program has got to be 
starting like objective bait. What is it that we're looking for? Why are we looking for it? Are we trying to test something or are we trying to get a sense of what it looks like after we run a certain product? How, how do our, um, how do our levels of these indicator organisms or indicators change? What would, what are we expecting to have happen and then set some, some targets for it? So I don't, I, I mean, I think it's hard to, um, to answer exactly what the best way and the best things to test for are. Um, and so anyway, do you want to, you want to take a stab at, at your answer? Yeah. So, um, basically I, I think that, that each category of organisms is progressively more narrow and progressively riskier. So for example, if you found high Enterobacteriaceae or EB and low coliforms and low E. coli, you would have one level of concern. If you found high EB and high coliforms but low E. coli, you'd be more concerned. And of course, if you found high in all three levels, you'd be the most concerned. What I didn't address in my message to the to the listener was, well, what if you found high E. coli, but low in the other categories, right? Well, it doesn't, it, that doesn't quite make sense, right? And there may be a problem with your test because if you have high E. coli, E. coli should also show up as coliform, should also show up as EB. Um, but so, so basically, like I said, it's, it's, it's narrowing down to more and more risky uh, uh, but I think fundamentally, it's a good it's a good question because I think a lot of people don't understand indicator organisms or whether they indicate anything. And there are people that don't believe that indicator organisms really indicate anything. Like I, I right, remember right. Uh, an early uh, hearing a early uh, talk from uh, Gary uh, early in my career hearing a talk from Gary Acuff where he basically was of the opinion that indicators don't indicate anything. Um, I I think a lot of people test for indicators because that's what they've always done, and and they have some it gives them some measure of security or some feeling of security. Um, uh, but I, I am of the belief that in a given set of circumstances, if you have a large enough data set, you can prove that indicators do actually indicate something. The problem is that you need to have a lot of data. You need to have thousands or tens of thousands or more data points, right? You, if you go out and you collect 100 data points, you're not going to see any pattern. And I think you also need to be able to to differentiate between a purely um, linear correlation. In other words, you have this this many um, EB uh, and this many E. coli. Uh, there's not going to be a linear relationship. It's a probability game. And so if you, find, right, right. if you find EB, there's a greater probability of finding E. coli. If you find high levels of EB, there's a greater probability of finding E. coli, et cetera. And I've analyzed a bunch of different data sets that were very large data sets, and I have seen this pattern. So, so by but it's going to be unique to the food processing plant or the food product, right? And and so you so so you really you really have to kind of believe that indicators work and collect a whole bunch of data before you can actually prove to yourself that indicators work. So it's a it's a really good question, and I think it's fundamentally one that a lot of people in food safety don't understand. And so uh, thanks uh, thanks to the listener for uh, for for that great question. Yes. Um... Moving on to another um, bit of uh, 
feedback, follow up. Uh, multiple people sent us links to um, a story that appeared um, first in Kansas City, but then in the Washington Post about um, health officials in Kansas City um, pouring bleach on food made for the homeless. And this led to a really, I think, interesting discussion from um, NeuroNerd and a few others um, that we were tagged in on uh, a couple of times about um, the the crossover between regulatory authority and um, public health requirements and, uh, and and food insecurity and and disparity issues. And so here's here's the 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 short story. Um, there were health inspectors uh, were called to a uh, homeless shelter, uh, well, a homeless uh, food giveaway that was unpermitted. It wasn't at a shelter. It was at city parks, but it was a, across um, for near near shelters. And um, the, these were unpermitted um, uh, events, and because, of, because they were unpermitted and because there was some evidence that the – that was uh, being given away was not held at safe temperatures. They um, confiscated that that food and then poured bleach on it to render it unusable, um, and and did so sort of in front of uh, you know obviously the volunteers who were giving it out, but also the people that were that it was meant for, mm-hmm. um, and it it led to kind of this um, you know I think ugly debate, um, <clears throat> and the. Um, the um, Kansas City Health Department um, also like had to respond to this with um, so, sort of an official statement. Um, and so they put out um, a statement that says Kansas City Health Department has received multiple complaints regarding the group Free Hot Soup Kansas City. Free Hot Soup Kansas City has advertised their events as family picnics operating at several parks throughout the city. These gatherings are open to the general public, which requires the group to follow all applicable city ordinance ordinances. Group organizes volunteers to prepare food at homes. So check. We'll come put a put a pin on that mm-hmm. and transports the food in personal vehicles. Check that check. one. Uh, to serving locations, the food is not kept at required temperatures for food safety. There's our third check. Yep. CD uh, or KCHD believes everyone, including those experiencing homelessness, deserve the reassurance of food safety practices. They work with many charitable groups to obtain required permitting, support their mission of serving meals to the general public. Uh, free Hot Soup Kansas City was notified of the permitting requirements by the department, but the group chose not to obtain required permitting for uh, and to follow safe food handling practices. They will be trying to work with the department will be trying to work with the organizers in the upcoming days. Um, and then they listed, um, a whole bunch of permanent organizations that give away free food. Um, so this is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, uh, I, I was, uh, right around this time, actually, that this came up, I was interviewed separately by someone who was interested in some of the food pantry work that we had done. Ashley Chavitz, one of my former grad students, um, uh, as she had led uh, led this work that we had done a few years ago, looking at food safety practices in pantries. And here is where things become a state by state situation. We would never have this type of situation happen in in North Carolina, and that's not because we have the world's greatest regulators, including um, NoroNerd. It is because this type of a um, of a event where it's given away food, giving away food for free it's not food that's in commerce is fully unregulated in our state the only time that something like this would come up is if this food was made in a permitted um, kitchen 
and and held and given away from there, then anything that happens in that kitchen falls under the food code. But if if you know, as it's described here, food made at home, transported by by people um, who are making it and then given away for food, this in in our state would not would not receive the bleach treatment, um, whether it was safe or not. It's because it's unregulated, um, and so that that became like my conversation with this, with this journalist around our pantries where again, someone was like, how is it possible that you have all this food that that's going out the door and it's not regulated? And it's like, well, that's, that's the rule. And I, I'm not, I, you know, it, to me, it doesn't matter whether it's the, if, whether the, the rule is correct or not, that's the rule. And the, the question is how do I provide the safest food possible in in absence of a rule or even subject to a rule, right? Like those are the things that whether it's for someone that's um, you know commercial or given away or not. I think we one of the things that I, that I always like to highlight is when it comes to homeless population, underserved populations. These are also the very populations that don't have healthcare coverage, right? That that are um, if they are working any sort of job and, and the likelihood of that is pretty small, but they're, they're almost for certain not getting paid sick leave. So we, we really have to protect them. Um, we have to keep that in mind when it comes to, comes to these decisions. And the, the real, the real thing here, the question is how risky is the, is the food and what do we, what do we know about it? And I don't know if we have a good, good answer to that. You know, foods that are kept at incorrect temperatures, it depends on the food and it depends on how long. And, um, I could see where a regulator would look at this and say, you know what, I'm going to make a decision that because of these three things that we highlighted food that was, um, made it in someone's home, transported in a personal vehicle and not kept it at, an, at a proper temperature that I'm going to make the call that this is unsafe food. And, and we're going to dispose of that in the way that we, um, that we have, which is, which is throwing, throwing bleach on it. Um, I like that, um, you know, that, uh, the department of health kind of highlights here are the groups that we do have that are permitted that we work with on this stuff. I think that's good. I, I, I don't know if I would have handled it the same way, but I don't, I don't know, Don, what, you know, uh, how would you, would you have handled this? Would you have handled this differently? Like if, if, if you're looking at a food like a soup or a gravy where, where we may have some fringes issues and especially if there's temperature abuse, I guess asking more questions about how long and under what temperatures and are, can we use time as a public health control at all would have, would, would maybe have helped here. But, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would have handled this. Yeah, and of course the the devil is in the details. And there's one one detail that I do want to add, and that is that the particular bleaching was apparently happened only at one location, and it was because the investigators said, "Look, this food we don't believe this food is safe. We're going to put it in the trash." And one of the the volunteers said, "Well, I'm going to take the food out of the trash right, as soon right. as you leave, and I'm going to give it to these people." And the investigator says, "Well." You can't do that, and because you've now said that you're going to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to pour bleach on it. So it wasn't as if they stormed up to them and said, "We're pouring bleach on all of this." They're like, "Look, no, that we don't believe that food is safe." So, so I mean, there's there is some nuance, and there's a little bit of uh, you know uh, needing to look at both sides. Um, I, I I agree with you. I think the correct answer would have been to try not to escalate it. Okay, and to try to get to the, like, okay, so what's going on? Okay, talk to the people and say, look, th- we're this is why we think 
These are the reasons why we don't believe this food is safe. We we realize you're trying to do a good thing for these people, but they get our protection too, right? These people need to be protected from food poisoning. And just because you um, think it's a good idea to feed them, um, if you give them food poisoning, that's not good for them. It's not good for you. And it's not good for us, local public health. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out what's the solution here? Because we want these people to be fed. We want you to be able to feed them, but we also want it to be done in a way that we can agree is safe, right? And and again, without more <clears throat> without more detail on what the foods are, um, yeah, okay, so if it's a hot food, it's been temperature abused, is there a way that we can, um, re- if, if, we're, if we don't think that staphylococcus or bacillus is a risk, can we reheat it, right? Um, or if it maybe, maybe you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw this food away, but in the future, maybe you could do things like pizza, right? Or, or foods, right, or, right. you know, something, something that is nutritious, uh, that is that is lower risk, or maybe maybe you could um, maybe we can work with you so that you can okay you're going to prepare it in your home, which we're not really thrilled with, but you're going to transport it in your car, um, which will work with you on temperature control, and then maybe we'll work with you to set up some sort of a location here that you can reheat the food, right, um, or you can keep it hot while you're serving it, and so. And, and I think you know it was not a good situation. It did. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it was handled particularly well. But I but I think that in the end, it, it seems like even though the original report it seemed kind of nasty, uh, I did like the Washington Post um, follow up article, which we will link to, basically saying you know we we. You know, we we we're 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 reconsidering it, right? And we're gonna we want to. I mean, yes, we want to protect public health, but we also need to make sure that these people have food. And so we're gonna work together to find some sort of a where everybody can get what they want out of this. And that's ultimately that's the sign, I think, of a good inspector is that you can figure out like where you need to adhere strictly to the law and where you can work with the um, work with the, the person that's doing the feeding, whether that's a restaurant that's out of compliance or whether that's a volunteer who's trying to feed the homeless. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and here's another case of, um, of trade-offs and showing your work. Um, uh, to me, I think this is one where you have this relationship between the health authority, the health department in this case, and someone who's trying to do really important good work. And they are, both sides are may not under, may not be understanding the gravity of the decision-making and, and why, right? Like, so, so the person who's giving away the food may not understand what the importance of this, uh, of these safe temperatures are, or, you know, the, the mantra of, well, these people who are making this food make their food every day in their own home and don't get sick from it. And, and the regulator is up against that. Um, but also needs to understand that, that these people put a lot of money, not money, a lot of resource and passion into, um, into feeding, uh, these underserved populations. And how do we work? How do we work with them in a safe way? We can do all this stuff in a safe way. How do we, what's the best way to, to do it? I, um, it made me think after reading through this, uh, the, after the last time we were, we recorded, um, on November 13th, on the 14th, I went to, um, 
Boston. Uh, well, just I went to Massachusetts. I flew into Boston and then drove a little bit to um, I think it's called the Massachusetts Health Officials the Agent, uh, Association, something like that. Department. It was all the environmental health folks um, across Massachusetts, food people and non-food people. And I talked to a group of about 150 people. And, and, and a lot of my message for them was, um, don't like we, we can all sit back as food safety nerds and be like, they got this wrong and we can snicker about it behind closed doors. But when we get out there, don't be patronizing because you're just going to turn people off. Right. And it's not a good way to, to, to do risk communication, right? Like we can, it's okay to be like, let's, let's work, let's figure out a way to work this out and let's be nice about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is like, I was thinking about this, um, you know, with uh, Eugene Gu MD, like what's the nice way I could tell him in his Twitter feed that he was wrong about some stuff. And I could, right. I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anything, but I, I did start following him on Twitter. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> right. 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 You're, you're just waiting, waiting for your nice response. Yeah. Uh, wait, waiting for the I, opportunity. Thing, yeah. Yeah. One thing I had, sorry to, to just call back to, to rain that I wanted to highlight here. That's got nothing to do with the, the micro of it, but I think timing, um, is, is a factor here. We've had three romaine linked outbreaks in the yeah. last, you know, whatever time, right. Uh, year. And no, in those other two outbreaks have like created, you know, all these memes about E. coli and romaine oh, or, yeah. uh, and this this year, I think it's because it would happen at Thanksgiving. I think there are a bunch of people that were sitting at home that were dealing with their crazy uncles and didn't want to talk politics and then made food safety memes in just the regular world and then shared them. Like I you know, I, I and I that I can't like I, I, w- I want to go back and look at that, and I can't explain to the food industry about how important the timing of an outbreak is to them on whether they're, it's going to be a story or not. Because I think this is a much bigger story because it happened right then, right? Like people were had three days, two or three days off. Huh. Yeah. I, I don't know. It definitely blew up on, on, on my, um, on my Facebook and on Twitter as well. And we had that and that, yeah, I think you're right. Cause there was a, there's been a really like, so on, on, uh, there, there's been memes on Facebook, which has been, you know, given to me by non-food safety people and then shared widely. But then there also was that, that really nice and long Twitter thread from people I knew and people I didn't know academics, government people, industry people, um, with, with like a really long threaded conversation. And you're right. I think it may have been because it was Thanksgiving and people had a little extra time on their hands to, to mess around with, uh, social media. I think so. There's like, I mean, there was a hashtag that was trending on Romaine calm huh. that didn't happen with the last two outbreaks. Um, so I'm going to link to something, um, a whole bunch of memes. Uh, someone, of course, in at Distractify came up with the 12 memes to help cope with the romaine lettuce recall uh, from five days ago. Um, so anyway, it was uh, that I just wanted to I, I didn't want to lose that um, in, in something that, you know, for, for us to take notice of. Yeah, good. Thank you. For um, so so let's let's move on to right. uh, frozen turkey catastrophe avoided. So um, so this is from uh, listener deep turkey um uh, and he emailed us before um uh with the freeze cube freezer alert frozen food safety monitor okay which is yes you had asked for the link he found the link so we will link to that in in show notes um uh and 
you know, it, and he also asked, um, so he says, so it took me a while to find it, but here it is. And so he, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, deep Turkey. Um, uh, he says, I wish they'd gone with temperature labels instead of days for the chambers. I think he's right. Um, unlike indicators from home Depot, it doesn't attack attempt to track the time spent at elevated temperature, which I think is a critical oversight. Um, uh, anyway, and so, and he, this is the one that had the spouse that was, or there was a, a friend who was a, had a spouse who was uh, they had a freezer fail. Anyway, we won't we won't get into any more uh, compromising opsec. Um, uh, so he says uh, uh, the, the TTI and all the different temperatures is fascinating to hear about. Um, we're concerned about our fridge, so being able to see how badly it's warming would be interesting. Do you have a recommended fridge thermometer that records the temperature range? And I will link to a company that we've uh, given a lot of money to, and that's called uh, Lascar Electronics, and they have a bunch of temperature as well as relative humidity loggers and we'll link to their uh let's see oh actually let's let's link to their entire temperature logging page so they the cheapest logger they have is the easy log elusb1 which is 60 bucks uh this standalone data logger measures and stores more than 16,000 temperature readings over a minus 35 to plus 80 um degrees c range and so Basically, you set this thing up. It's got a USB-A plug on it, so you can plug it into your laptop. Or if you have a new Mac, you can plug it into your USB-A to USB-C converter and then plug that into your laptop. Um, but it's pretty it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's the software is it's Windows-based software, but it's pretty easy to use. Like I said, we've, we've given these guys a lot of money. We bought a lot of units. And so 60 bucks is a lot of money to spend, but th- this will give you the literally the blow-by-blow, minute-by-minute um, log of temperature in your refrigerator and so I would I, I recommend I recommend uh, these products this is a, this is a good good company and they're doing they're doing good work um, I'm gonna I'm gonna add another one uh, mm-hmm. that we've used that are that are uh, from a company called onset um, and they make something which has the best name it's called the hobo <laughs> um, and the hobo is uh, is a data logger uh, we've used both both the um, uh, the uh, car and the and the um, and the hobos. We've used the hobos more recently to engineer these into um, uh, probes that look like consumer thermometers for our observation work. Uh, in the past, we like three D printed with um, uh, some great folks in our um, engineering uh, department here at my college on this. But what what I really like about the hobo is it gives you. Um, or there are some options. The one I'm going to send to you, Don, for the show notes has this. It gives you a display, mm-hmm. and it's 92 bucks. So I can mm-hmm. open my fridge and look, oh, at, look what at it the is display, right, then. right? Yeah, and I can I, I can uh, then plug it in via USB and download what you know every 15 seconds worth of uh, temperature. Yeah, the, as well, or three seconds or one second, whatever I send it. Yeah, the the uh, the EasyLog yeah. ELUSB one LCD for ten dollars more has a display. So that one is uh, yeah. sixty nine ninety five. So it's it's great that you and I are recommending. Like we never have the same recommendation, which I think is good because that that way we're not like you know we're not in the pocket of a big uh, big logger. Yeah, so. big big hobo, <laughs> big hobo. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, we can't. We can't do another show title that's uh, in the pocket of uh, of big anything. Yes, uh, not for not for at least a hundred yeah. episodes. No, exactly. Until the next yeah, next time it comes up. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, check those out. But hey, thanks for for following up on on that. Uh, two two pieces of follow up for me. I'm going to order 
uh, about 10 of those um, freeze cubes that deep deep turkey uh, sent. So we're going to mess around with these in our refrigerators. And they're not super cheap. Like I like the TTI um, version that we talked about last episode for this because these are 20 bucks each. Yeah. And, and it's like a one use only, right? Yeah. It's, it's, if so it just fails, like save, save your, save your money and buy, you know, like buy, instead of buying a couple of these, just buy, just buy one of the loggers that Ben and I recommended. You'll be much better served. Yeah. So cool. Thanks for, uh, thanks, thanks, deep, deep turkey, uh, frozen turkey. Um, all right. Um, I'm going to go to, I'm going to talk, I'm going to change it up a little bit here. Okay. Um, and go to um, uh, uh, feedback on because we, we were just talking about t- turkeys and thawing. Uh, so this uh, comes from uh, someone deep egg who we we have here uh, who said that um, you please don't uh, share anything. Uh, love the podcast. Been listening for several years and really appreciate the discussions every week. Like to think of myself as a friend of the pod. Dot 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 cast. I'm a retired extension home economist, now called FCS educator, and I work to keep my skills and knowledge up to date, and the podcast really helps. Um, if there are still stickers available, I'd love to have one. And um, Peg, who who I also kind of know in, in real life, uh, I will be happy to send a couple of stickers, which I have a left. Um, and here, here are some questions. Um, recently during hurricane Florence, uh, the safe plates, Facebook page from NC state, which is the group that, that I run suggested hard cooking eggs as a way of keeping them safe and having food to eat. If the temperature, if the power went out for years at Easter time, extension folks have been preaching that hard cooked eggs shouldn't be kept at room temperature for more than two hours. Has the thing changed on this or did I read this wrong? Also, in a similar vein, um, for years, extension folks have been standing on soapboxes around Thanksgiving saying, don't thaw turkey at room temperature. I misunderstand something that was said a couple episodes ago when one of you said, and this was probably me, that this really wasn't much of a problem. Um, And please don't share my name. Uh, Feel free to discuss. So – um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, two, two things and I'm, you, there are times where we talk about stuff on the podcast and we kind of gloss over the, the whys and, um, hard boiled eggs is one that, that we picked up, um, for our consumer messaging in Florence preparation based on the food code and based on the idea that, um, the food code and with, with references. And we have talked a little bit about this in the past that an, a sh- an in shell, um, hard boiled egg or a shell covered hard boiled egg where the shell remains intact and has all of its integrity is a non TCS food. Um, and, uh, is something that will spoil over time, but from a safety standpoint, doesn't require, uh, temperature control. And so we can link to that, um, to, to the, uh, section of the food code that sort of discusses that and the annex that, that has the, the references. And I, I guess for deep egg, I don't think the thought on this has changed. And again, I think this comes back to kind of our theme for the episode, um, where we have, um, different agencies look at things a little bit differently or different uh, authorities at least. And, and I don't know the history of why, um, hard boiled eggs in, in extension standpoint or from USDA's food safety group that does consumer education says, you know, this is not a food that we should, um, allow or, or suggest is okay to be held at room temperature. But FDA has data that that supports why they they say that it's a non-TCS food, and I go to the group that has that shares the data on this one. Um, 
And same same thing with with uh, Turkey, which we already talked about a little bit. It's, it's a trade off. So I, I think on the thawing Turkey at room temperature, it's not just this like full stop that it's okay. It's um, you can do it at uh, you can thaw um, a turkey at room temperature on a counter um, as long as you're out there checking the temperature to make sure that you, you're not raising the outside layer that layer of skin above um, 41 degrees for more than than four hours and it's probably even a little longer than that um, you know and that this is me sort of guessing without without looking at the the models uh, but. Uh, it, it comes with the trade-off. So can you do it? Yes. Uh, the way that I've done it in the past is insulating that that turkey using Pete Snyder's method, um, and hopefully we can find the paper to link to that, but of insulating the, um, the turkey with uh, six to eight sheets of newspaper um, and then keeping it on the counter and then using a uh, thermometer every couple hours to make sure that the uh, temperature on the outside isn't getting too too warm. But yeah, it's all to me. It's all trade offs. Yep. Cool. Um, where else? Where do you? Where else do you want to go? Well, let's uh, let's let's briefly give a shout out to uh, Deep Crimson. Um, oh, yeah. who, who gave us some some follow up here? Um, so uh, and it's a very very long and very thoughtful emails, which we won't we won't read. But basically, um, just kind of talking about the challenges of working in uh, food service. Um, uh, talking about some of their recipes, uh, chili. The recipe says discard after four hours. Um, but um, most recipes don't say anything about time, and many say nothing about temperature. Um, a little bit of a rant about recipes not being written coherently. Uh, they say to use uh, 1,847 ounces of something instead of <laughs> instead of measuring in pounds, uh, which is yeah, again, it's a problem with uh, the software that uh, many of these uh, you know um, operations use. Um, so this is one. Uh, in- internal food safety auditor paid a strange visit that is of interest. She cited my unit because the water temperature in one hand sink was 95 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and she wanted it at 115 or whatever it says on the Ecolab label stuck above the sink. Um, another wacky one was she told my boss to throw away a half a case of cantaloupe because there were fruit flies on it. There were no bruises or breaks in the skin, nothing rotten, perfectly sound melons. It happened to have a few fruit flies nearby. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is uh, there's I, a lot of good people out there in food safety, and then there's people like this auditor. Well, and and I'll let me. Uh, I'm going to take the um, the cantaloupe one mm-hmm. because I think with the auditors, and this is something that I've learned as I've been doing more work on the ground with some fast food, uh, quick quick serve uh, type businesses, uh, a few different type types of ones that we won't go into too much detail on, but talking with, um, managers and district managers about their audits and about what they're allowed to do for safety. Um, where, you know, using time as a public health control in some cases, but not for all foods. And, and what I, as you kind of drill into it a little bit more, sometimes these auditors are put out there in the guise of food safety, but are really quality auditors. Fruit fly issue is it could be a quality issue and so the as the brands as the audits get get created or even the auditing companies that are providing this service build their their audits they get this idea of quality and safety confused sometimes um or 
or maybe not even confused. Maybe they mix those two things up together on purpose. But that's one of the things that I want to that that I'm learning is is out there. It's harder to parse parse those things out. And and we, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit internally about a conversation that we had um, around social media stuff through Safe Plates, and this goes back to Deep Egg's question. Um, we were putting out some some information about um, when to buy turkeys, right? Like back before Thanksgiving. What's the right What's the right day? And you've got messages out there that's like, well, if you're going to buy a fresh turkey, buy it no more than one to two days before uh, beforehand. And sometimes it's it's like do that for safety reasons. Um, and that that's not true. You're not doing that for safety reasons. But there may be a quality issue. And and what we kind of have to make a decision on or what we've, we've made the decision on in, in my group that, that I think USDA and others who put information out there about this stuff, um, has, has a different take on is, are we going to be a, a purely food safety information center or a provider, or are we going to mix food safety and quality because for best quality and which is a, a subjective attribute that I don't know really a whole lot about, but for best quality, maybe I do want to have my turkey in my refrigerator for one to two days beforehand. But for safety, no. And in this, you know, the, I see this this combination, this mixing of quality and safety that that leads to confusion. And I I like to play just on the safety side of that fence as much as possible. But the but I would push back a little bit and say, well, people are confused about it anyway. And and it, again, as as has been the theme of this episode and so many, many of these, all of these episodes is there's trade-offs, right? There's quality and safety trade-offs. Right. And so people are going to make, like, and again, the whole, th- the whole issue around shelf life dating, right? Uh, people, th- those are primarily set for quality, but people are going to talk about them. They're going to think about them like they would Think about them for food safety, and and I th- and I think they are for sure. In many cases, they are microbiological, or in in any case, they are certainly food science, right? And so, uh, nominally, at least according to yeah. my title, I'm a food scientist. Um, you might be able to <laughs> you might be able to get away I, with not calling yourself way. a food yeah, scientist. I could weasel um, my way from that one. <laughs> but so what's the so let's just so before we move on, let's just talk a little bit more. So so for best quality, you want to shop a couple of days ahead. But for food safety, what do you want to do for turkeys? Well, so the the question the question was. Um, is it realistic to suggest that people buy their turkey one to two days in advance and no longer? Like, oh, okay. so, so, right. yeah, like not five days in advance, got it, or four days in got advance, it. and and so I I think the the issue here is is it I I can buy my turkey. Uh, 10 days in advance right. uh, from a, a safety standpoint, will the quality go down? Absolutely. Right. But that quality decision. So as long as I highlight both of those things, right. Right. And say, here's why. Uh, and that's kind of what we, what we, um, what we set on is um, for, you know, for safety reasons, um, you don't, you don't, that, that time isn't really there for, for best quality, which is a subjective attribute. Um, you know, think about it closer to the, to the date, but we also like where that gets incongruent a little bit is if I buy a frozen Turkey, right. Right. And I say, and I follow USDA's recommendations for frozen Turkey and thawing in my refrigerator. And I have a 20 pound Turkey. And, and their their recommendation is something like a day for every five pounds. Well, now I've got four days of thawing. What makes that 
turkey any less quality or than the turkey that I bought four days early and is still sitting in my fridge at 41 degrees. Like it's incongruent. Well, or I would say there's trade-offs there, right? Because maybe you have a quality loss from freezing where you don't from fresh, but from fresh you have spoilage, which you don't from frozen. And, and honestly, sure. it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on, like we could do a, a whole uh, science paper on um, buying a bunch, like buying 100 frozen turkeys and buying 100 fresh turkeys and measuring the microbiology and, and using an Instron um, and measuring the texture uh, before and after cooking and and, and we you know, and we would maybe get a little bit more more science there, but there's there's trade offs, right? There's like, well, I'm busy at Thanksgiving time, so when do I have time to go to the store? And what is the right. what is the amount of volume that I can afford to take in my refrigerator? Afford to take out of commission to thaw a turkey for four days, right? Versus if it's frozen, what well, maybe the sensible thing for me to do is to buy fresh when I have time, and then freeze it, and then cook from a frozen state, right? So there's the the, the main thing is. There are always trade-offs, right? And I think, and again, to the extent that you can in a communication with uh, an extension clientele is communicate those trade-offs. Like, so for example, you may hear that for best quality, buy one to two days ahead. And if you can afford to do that in terms of your, your schedule, that's fine. But if not, here's what you need to do to manage that process safely. It's about time. It's about temperature, both in terms of storage to preserve the microbiological quality, to prevent pathogen growth, to prevent spoilage, as well as time and temperature for cooking. And then there's, there's, there's time and temperature for thawing. And so, again, you have to kind of figure out, like, what's my, you know, is this a, is this a five-second soundbite for the evening news? Or is this, um, you know, a PhD dissertation? Or is it somewhere in between? <laughs> somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And, and part of it's showing your work. And, right? and, like well, it's the, always, you always yeah. have to show your work. You should always try to show your work to the greatest extent possible, for sure. Yeah. Well, and 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 it the do you have to make decisions, right? Like in in all of these things, because you can't. Um, it's not going to satisfy everybody's needs. So as long as you've got, here's the decision that we're that we're making. Here's why. This is the incongruencies that are out there, and why we're trying to like stay consistent. But but also you have to remember quality as well, which is going to be which is going to be affected by this this decision. Um, all of that stuff's got to be packaged together, and. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, and, and, but, but I guess what I like about it is about this conversation, about the conversation that we had internally about it was at least we're questioning what it is, right? Like, like what this, this message that's been out there for, for years and years, and this goes back to deep eggs question, these messages that have been that have been pushed out there. Let's at least look at it and question it and say, how, what was the decision that was made on why this message is out there? And let's, let's unpack it a little bit. Right. And or maybe, de- or and, decompose. yeah. And maybe as part of our new message, explain why we had the old message, right? Like I love to explain to people about why the cooking temperatures changed, right? Um, on, yes. on poultry, because there's a story there, right? And there's a story there and there's a reason why we have this new answer and why it's different from the old answer. And, you know, maybe you're interested in that story and maybe that, again, maybe that is something that helps you know, you know, I mean, again, the whole theme of this podcast has been um, to try to expose our thought processes on some of these issues for people, because personally, I think it's interesting, right? I think it's interesting why I think the things that I do and how my thinking has evolved um, in terms of how we communicate about this stuff. Um, So yeah, so I, yeah, yeah, to the extent, again, that you can do that, it's great. It's, and I think, um, I think it's interesting for the story, and I also think it shows the scientific process, right? Like, yes. it, it, I think there's there's something 
there's something else out there about about having these conversations that's like, you know what? We don't have all this all figured out. Here are the things that this is how we arrived at this. And, and, and this is the process. So you understand a little bit more. Maybe that helps you trust climate change. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was with you. I was with you until that last thing about climate change. I don't know where that came from. Um, uh, so while we're, while we're making awkward transitions, I do want to also mention, so we talked in the After Dark uh, last time about um, uh, Red Notice by Bill Browder. Uh, that ins- also inspired uh, Deep Crimson to uh, email us about uh, a book, uh, a novel about um, uh, Russia called A Gentleman in Moscow. And we will, we will definitely link to that um, in, the, in the show notes. Um, and then uh, another uh, follow-up also from uh, Deep Crimson, uh, just a, uh, um, uh, talking about um, – oh, uh, this is, this is kind of good. So this is so, – so first of all, she, she, she shared some remembrances of her, uh, her dad who was a veteran right around Veterans Day. So that was, that was really nice and, and thank you for that. Um, uh, she, but she talks about um, cutting boards. Uh, it's true yeah. that many cutting boards are generic or cheap. Many are worth saving. There is an inexpensive tool called by, and some of the nerds on our podcast are going to love this, I bet. Um, there's an inexpensive tool called by various names, but generally known as a scraper plane that can save these boards. One can buy these scrapers at Rockler or other dedicated woodworking stores or maybe at a typical hardware store and certainly at uh, Linesa. I don't know any of those names of those stores, but um, it takes very little practice to use this thing. It removes the top layer of the board, including all of the cut marks, leaving an almost new flat surface. And we will link to the uh, Lineason um, uh, hand scraper blade uh, set in the uh, in the show notes. So so thanks to Deep Crimson for for all of that great stuff. Yeah. So there's also um, a plastic version of this that I somehow came across. Um, when I was looking at something on web restaurant, um, that does, so this, there's a, something called the Carlisle cutting board refinisher that will link in show notes. I haven't used, I, I have seen, uh, YouTube videos of people re, um, using a scraper plane on their wood cutting boards. I haven't seen these plastic ones, but it apparently allows you to scrape off, you know, that middle part of the cutting board that gets all, um, mm-hmm. gritty and gummed up, mm-hmm. uh, and, and sort of refinish the plastic ones. Cool. So, wow. I, I yeah, did not know I, I anything about this. So this is very cool. Yeah. yeah. And these are like, again, I have this ongoing open um, drafts file of things that I want to do in our kitchens when they're open, <laughs> which is soon. And this is another one. Oh, oh you're, you're not your, not your home kitchens, but your, no. uh, your, 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 your work research kitchens. teaching kitchens. Nice. They're coming. Coming to the the all the cabinets are were installed. They're all finished. So now we're just waiting on appliances this week, and then and then it's kitchen time. Very cool. Uh, Very cool. Cool. Awesome. All right. Last bit of feedback that I have, um, and this is uh, from a listener who says you can read my message but not my name. Uh, we're going to call uh, this listener Deep Volume. Um, she uh, she she says I think that's a she. Anyway, the listener uh, uh, writes: I listen to your podcast during my one hour commute to work. I learn. I am learning a lot of new things. Uh, from you um, and another uh, podcast um, on on food safety. Um, I actually learned about you and this podcast from one of the episodes where you were interviewed. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, so that that was a Food Safety Matters podcast. So so uh, she says, uh, or the listener says, I'm glad that you did that interview. I, I have one request and one question. 
okay? The request, could you increase the volume on the episodes? I travel on I-90, uh, not not to compromise OPSEC. I travel on I-90 for, it's a big road, so it didn't compromise. It is a long road. <laughs> it's a long, long, long road. Yeah. Um, for a majority of my commute, and even though I turn my car Bluetooth volume all the way and my phone's volume 100%, because of road noise and passing traffic, it's really hard for me to hear some portions of the show. Uh, this makes me feel helpless when you are discussing something interesting and I cannot hear it properly. And I understand this for sure. This has happened to me on some of the podcasts that I listen to. Um, uh uh, have you, uh, but uh, but we have not had any other explicit complaints about about volume. There are some things that we can do, um, but but there it may also be a limitation of the device that you're listening on and the audio system in your car. So Ben, do you have any thoughts on uh, podcast volume? Um, I do not. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I had thought about uh, with this was. Um, uh, I think that there's a way for us to preamp, like pick, uh, increase the preamp when we export the MP3 file. Okay. So maybe we can try that. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, I think they're also in, in I, I have experienced low volume podcasts in the podcast app, but in Overcast, that seems to be taken care of. And I don't know what magic Marco Arment does with it, um, but I think the the volume range in Overcast is much higher. So your suggestion on that is was bang on. Yeah. So so my, yeah, my response was um, again we. Uh, uh, the easier to give feedback if you tell us a little bit about how you're listening to podcasts. If you're listening on an Android application, I can't help you. Um, but you should Sorry. find you should well find an Android nerd and and see if they have a recommendation. Um, if you use an iPhone. Highly, highly recommend uh, Marco Arment's excellent app called Overcast. We will link to that in show notes. It is, um, it is my uh, podcast listening uh, thing of choice. And um, um, in that um, in that app, um, Marco has uh, something called Voice Boost, uh, which boosts and normalizes volume. So every show is loud, clear, and at the same volume. Uh, as it says on his website, you can listen in more places such as noisy cars and still hear what everyone is saying without cranking the volume so high for quiet people that the loud ones blow out your ears. And so this really helps if, um, like I do the best I can to, to equalize the volume between Ben and I, and he does the same thing. Uh, but inherently it's louder on one side than the other. And so even if we don't hit that mix exactly right, um, overcast will, will handle that. And so again, highly recommended if you use an iPhone, um, it's free. Um, but you should also give him some money because, um, that, that way you don't have to listen to look at, look at ads. But but it's it's a, just an excellent app, and, and Marco is uh, uh, really a uh, just a bit an inspiration to the whole uh, podcasting world. Um, uh, listener goes on and says, "I work in a milk products company that makes cheese and yogurt, and sometimes we get yeast and mold in our cheese. Uh, high water activity uh, in that cheese. Uh, we plate it using some uh, 3M yeast and mold petri films. is not the best, but they use it for in house. Um, anyway, bottom line is." Um, my question or questions are what, uh, what are the common types of yeast and mold in this environment? How much should we be worried about them? And what can we do to reduce the chances of unwillingly, uh, un- unwanting, it unwantingly getting into our products? And my answer was, I, I'm not an expert in this, but um, back when I was in graduate school, uh, I went to graduate school, at, as I said before, with the University of Georgia. And there was a, a, a gentleman from uh, Korea that worked for Joe Frank called uh, Young Jae Kang, or Kang as we called him. And as part 
part of his uh, uh, PhD, uh, he wrote a review entitled Biological Aerosols, a Review of Airborne Contamination and Its Measurement in Dairy Processing Plants. This is uh, old. It's from 1989. But I but I remember this article just because it was just like the, he was working on this and it's just a great article. And so for sure... It's a 1989 article. Check it out. Uh, I sent uh, a PDF copy to uh, Deep Volume, um, but it, I will link to the um, I will link to the JFP uh, page um, uh, in in show notes. So uh, th- so this has been a, a show of uh, graduate school memories for me. Thinking about uh, uh, Ron Knight Miller and now Joe Frank and uh, Young Jake Hang. So so thanks uh, thanks for the question, um, and uh, we'll keep working on that uh, volume thing. And if anybody else has any ideas. Um, on, on solving volume problems or have um, uh, can provide more feedback, uh, we would welcome that. We're doing the best we can, uh, but I would have to say, as um, as audio engineers, I'm a I'm a darn good um, uh, microbiologist. Microbiologist, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm better at I'm better at the food safety stuff. Yep. Uh, cool, uh, think Show. I think that's uh, where where we wanted to get to. This is a and and I mean, if you listen to this part, you've obviously either listened to the entire marathon or you split it into two sessions sections. So good good for you. Yeah, and it's uh, all, it's only like uh, it's only like uh, two hours and, and change. So a special holiday episode. Yeah, yeah. Merry Merry Krampus. Merry Krampus. Um, yeah. Uh, and we <laughs> uh, one one thing I do want to say that it, this is it, I think it's happening more frequently. Um, you and I became stars in the world of butter over the weekend without <laughs> doing an interview. Cause I think someone listened to the podcast where we talked about butter and it became a, a whole thing. And now my, uh, you know, NC state news services and cooperative extension have been tweeting all about our butter. You know, uh, I'll, let me read a tweet that says, um, where do you keep your hashtag butter in the fridge or on the counter like grandma used to do extension specialist, Benjamin Chapman explains why grandma's way might actually be safe. And then they linked to the article where they pulled it directly from a podcast that we did. <laughs> <laughs> Does butter need so, to be refrigerated? Some people do. And some people don't. Here's why that's, that's from 20, 2017. Uh, anyway, but there was a recent one as well. So anyway, yeah, We'll get the oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, this is a uh, W uh, for WWL. Um, so thanks. Uh, thanks guys uh, for uh, linking to our, uh, our podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and then uh, or it not, also not linking to our podcast 10 news NBC. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched the, the video, but uh, I think that, that they used our tweets as okay. well. Cool. Um, so there you go. We're, we're famous. We're famous on the internet. Um, all right. Well, uh, uh, I will. Uh, thanks again, Don, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye.
Cool. I lost uh, you for a I, second there. Yeah, I've been having some audio problems. I had to progressively turn off more and more. Um, but I think I'm uh, uh, any 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 resulting remaining audio problems are on your end. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I. Oh, hi, hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hello. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, uh, I, I also had to turn stuff off, and there was only a couple spots, but it was way early on where I couldn't couldn't hear you. But it was, and it was just like a blip. So I think we're we're good. If you want, this one's yours, right? Yep. I think. Yep. Do you, if you if you listen to your audio and it's a problem, I can give you mine. Yeah, I I think um, I think uh, the listeners have come become accustomed to our low standards, so. Um, yeah, good. you know, it's, uh, this is what you get. This is what you, this is what you pay for. This is, this is, uh, this is, uh, what you get for free. So, um, <laughs> sorry if you don't like the audio quality. Right, right. Oh my gosh. So Don, as uh, speaking of audio quality, I'm sending you a screenshot. Um, <laughs> so I didn't realize that there was a video that goes along with this, uh, 10 news thing yes. that we have. Um, and, and that video, did you watch the video? No. Cause you're going to love it. You're going to love, you're going to love one part. I don't even know what the audio is on it, but there's a, uh, it's coming up. It's coming up right now. Oh, drag over. Come on. It's coming. It's coming. Um, it is, uh, our floating heads. Oh, uh, look at that. Beside, How nice. Besides, besides someone, it's, it's almost like she's interviewing us. Oh, look at that. Look at that. They cribbed it from our website. Yep. So we're, they found us. This is good. There's some good journalists out there that are finding our pictures. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I wish they'd link to the podcast, but that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever, maybe whatever, it wasn't, maybe it was just our tweets. So could be, could be, um, cool. All right. So do you, okay. So this one's yours. Yep. Do you want to, so I know we switched up our writing buddies to a different day, but do you want to keep this on the 10th, I guess it is. Yeah. Let me, do you have a preference? Uh, yeah. So I've got a defense in the morning. Um, let me make sure I don't have something in the afternoon. I don't, I, all right. And I'm holding, I got, uh, holding something for the CFP publications telecommittee, um, a teleconference. Um, yeah. So I, what I will say, what about the 11th? Oh, um, I think I'm traveling. Okay. Yeah, I'm traveling to go to a meeting with um, uh, our friend of the show, um, uh, AFI leader uh, Donna Garen. Oh, um, how fun! Uh, on Listeria, yeah. Um, so, so let's let's can, can we do the let's pencil in the afternoon of the tenth. Yes. Can we do it two o'clock? Uh, Is that too we can we can late? we can so let's let's put in two o'clock. I've, I'm holding some times for something else, but but let's. Let's let's say let's let I'll I will commit to two o'clock. Okay, and then that gives me I have something that goes from one till two, and I think we're good. Yeah. Let's see, one something that is one seventy. So so we're recording one seventy one. All right. All right. Perfect. And while, uh, while, while we were recording, um, my, uh, iPad pro 11 inch smart keyboard folio showed up. Nice. So I'm very excited. I know it's, I'm very excited for that. That means the rest is on its way. 
Yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a they really did a nice job with the design on it. It really feels solid. I mean, I mean, people have talked about this on other podcasts, and you don't turn in, tune into the After Dark on this show to hear about uh, technology, but it's uh, it's it's really nice. I, I really like it. Uh, the the pencil is a much better design. Um, the, they've gone back to the the design that people liked from the iPhone five. It's very square looking, and yeah. The only the only downside is when you flip the keyboard back. Other people have talked about this. Too. If you flip the keyboard back for ch- just the screen, um, then it disables the keyboard, but you can still feel like the keys uh, uh, oh, on your yeah. fingers on the back, which yeah. is a little weird. So, but yeah, that's yeah. I see. So that's when when you flip it back behind and you're not using like you're using it just in your hand. Yeah. Or yeah. 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 So, I mean, if that really bugs you, you can take the key the keyboard off. Um, yeah, but that's what I think yeah. I will do is yeah. I'm more likely to just take the keyboard off. Yeah. And then, um, Oh, and I see what you're saying. Cause it's on the back. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing that's, that's a little weird is that because it uses uh, face ID and not touch ID, you have to get used to that. But I got used to that really quick. The only problem is sometimes you have your, uh, you have your hand over the camera and then it nicely says, Hey, um, it gives you a, point to a little arrow and says, um, move your hand. <laughs> Can't see you. It's very cool. Move your hand, dipsh- yeah. Nice. Well, this is cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. The, I already like the design of the, the keyboard better than the the previous version. Yeah, people, like I li- I, people have said it's like more yeah. stable and um, very yeah. uh, like like more, it feels more like a solid keyboard for for a little fl- flimsy um, uh, iPad keyboard. I'm so excited, and not I think so. When it's in my hand, for the most part, I take the keyboard off already. Okay, like. Like I'm, you know what I mean? Like I already have that. I never, I don't, I don't like the felt feeling on my hand. I like the, yeah. So this, this won't change too much, Mm -hmm. um, for me. Oh, so cool. I'm excited. I'm very now, now maybe the other two will come in today, the pencil and the, and the Mm -hmm. iPad. All right. Well, good luck. Thanks. All right. Um, I will, uh, I'll talk to you later. Um, and I, I didn't have any good, um, good show titles this time. So, oh, I think we I might. Know. I might go with pants, pants, pants. Oh, pants, <laughs> pants, that's, pants. That's like hard to. I've hard to beat that. It's at, it's early yeah, yeah. in the show, but I think I'm. I think that's Whatever. what I'm going to use. So. Yep. Good. I've sold pants, <laughs> pants, pants. Is good. Okay. All right. All I'll right. Uh, talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.